Hello, everybody. Editing Bradley here with just a quick editor's note before we get started in this episode airs for you guys today. The first note is that I know we said the first episode of Act 2 will be on June 4th. We both had a bunch of real-life things get in the way, so this episode is the last intermission content. Act 2, Episode 1 will be coming out next week, covering What Did I Miss in Cabinet Battle Number 1. We've already recorded that episode. I'm so just excited for you guys to hear it. The next editor's note is that throughout this process, we record using discord here so we record our audio independently but we video stream over discord and in this episode the video got lagged between me and connor as we were recording and so if in the middle hour of this podcast episode it feels like i'm reacting to things a little bit out of time it's because i was reacting to things a little bit out of time and i was trying to predict what he would say and when he would say it so i can cut in so if the audio feels a little awkward in the middle hour that's probably what it is and i just wanted to apologize ahead of time otherwise let's Let's cue the intro music here and let's get into the show. I know the action in the street is exciting, but Jesus, between all the bleeding and fighting, I've been reading and writing. We need to handle our financial situation. Only a nation of states, what's the state of our nation? A past patiently waiting and passionately smashing every expectation, every action, the act of creation. I'm laughing in the face of casualties and sorrow. For the first time, I'm thinking past tomorrow. And gentlemen, welcome into a brand new episode of Let's Dive Deep. My name is Bradley. My name is Connor. And today uh, we are going to be continuing our deep dive into the hit Broadway musical and pop culture phenomenon, Hamilton. During today's deep dive, we will be doing a Q&A and taking a look at some of the emails, text messages, and Facebook messages you guys have been sending us over the course of Act 1. As per usual... We will be taking into account the Disney Plus version of the musical, the soundtrack, and, of course, the experience of seeing Hamilton live. So, no matter where or how you have experienced Hamilton before, this is the perfect place for you to be. Before we get started, no surprise to anyone here, Let's Dive Deep may contain adult content. What kind (laughs) of adult content? Who knows for this one, but we are approaching Act 2, where there's various levels of affairs going on that we will be discussing, so just... Moving forward, just be careful, be cautious if you're listening to this podcast aloud around children. Another thing to watch out for is that Let's Dive Deep Hamilton does contain spoilers. As this episode, like the two preceding it, is intermission content, we will be mostly discussing Act 1 today, but as we have warned you before every other episode in our delightfully passive-aggressive way, there may be some spoilers, so you have been warned. Shouts to me for throwing out some spoilers before the spoiler warning. If you have not watched all of Hamilton and we're excited for Act 2, I apologize profusely. If you are enjoying this podcast, you can find other Let's Dive Deep series. Currently, it's just the first season of Bridgerton that I have done. You can find that in your favorite podcatcher. But if you're listening to this way in the future, who knows what kind of shenanigans we've gotten gotten into diving deep into all kinds of things. So make sure you just go to your favorite podcatcher, check the show notes, uh, search Let's Dive Deep, and see 
what comes up. And finally, please, please do not throw away your shot. This is the last intermission episode before Act 2. We want to get the momentum rolling. Head over to iTunes, Spotify, to wherever you're listening to this. I don't know, there's loads of different places, and leave a review, preferably five stars. If you hate the podcast, you can rate it five stars and then tell us why you hate it. That's cool, too. Uh, but good reviews help the, the word spread, and we would very, very much appreciate it. We have a Twitter, at Let's Dive Deep, and a Gmail, uh, Let's Dive Deep Pod at gmail.com. That is where we got some of the feedback for this episode that we will be discussing, so feel free to send your feedback anytime in there, and we will bring it up as uh, as it fits into the content. All right, that's it. That's the intro. So now let's sit back, relax, maybe grab your beverage of choice. I've got mine. And let's dive deep into Hamilton. All right, you ready to clear things up? Once again, a flawless intro. Like, I, I love it. Even our last one that was so, that was so chaotic was still yeah. so good. On, on Vars would be so jealous, man. The, some of the shit I send him to edit is fucking wild. Like it's like it's it's like an hour and a half of me like beeping myself and fucking things up, and he's got to like go through it and actually make the video. It's so he's an impressive guy, and his editing is getting better. I loved uh, your blooper reel. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Okay, that was six minutes. He has like sixty minutes of content. He just I'm sure he just didn't want to keep editing. I'm sure he was tired or whatever. But man, yeah. yeah. Yeah, All right, it was really good. Um, since I, since, do you want me to lead us into this? Yeah, lead, lead in, man. You're clearing things up. I'm just, uh, I'm just here. Cool. All right. <sighs> Okie dokie. Here we go. What a great jingle. Bradley, thank you so much for that. That was fantastic. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, that's definitely happened. That's not happening in post-production later. You're welcome. Yeah, that was great. I, I loved hearing that live in this moment just now. Yeah. So yeah, before... <laughs> Before we get into questions, there are a couple things that I want to do my due diligence on and just clear up really quick uh, because we are we're making a decided like point of saying goodbye to Act One and then moving on to Act Two. So I don't want these things lingering going into Act Two. All right, so things I want to clear up real quick so that I don't get Twitter roasted. Right, first of all. I wasn't necessarily wrong, but I misspoke a little bit talking about the Tammany Society and Tammany Hall, and I didn't want to put all of that in Albany. So if there are any like stats are for nerds, history geeks out there, right? So the Tammany Society existed in New York City, but the conversation about corruption and why it's present in Albany, why it's something that Hamilton wants to speak out against, right? That is still well represented by the show. You know, uh, when he when he's talking about Albany as the seat of power, the show is correct. So I didn't want to give anybody the wrong idea there. Right. I know that I mentioned Tammany as a society being present in Philadelphia and New York City as well. But, you know, I think I I may have put a little more weight on Albany than. Maybe warranted. You know, so just wanted to I, I know it's it's a very stats are for nerds thing, but like I, was I didn't just going to say the best part about this correction is that I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Like, I don't know. Like, it's just like, like I just take the show at face value. Like it's corruption, such an old song that we can sing along in harmony and nowhere is it stronger than in Albany. 
I don't know anything. That's all I know about Albany and corruption. <laughs> so I like this correction because I like the Taminate. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. This is awesome. Well, it's you know, it's maybe it's just for me, but you know, it. I, I don't to want. Think of what the Venn diagram is of people who listen who are listening to this that are like <laughs> like me, or people who are listening to this that would have Twitter roasted you, and I'm just not sure. Yeah, I don't know. But That's but now so I've funny. prevented it, so maybe maybe we'll it. never know. Yeah. Right. Um, beyond that, uh, and also, you know, maybe because this is a Q and A episode, maybe this is kind of like a question I've been asking myself, right? Because I'm really wrestling with my own reckoning of Angelica as a lead player and Eliza as a supporting player. So can I and put I'm, in here I'm, one really quickly? You put in the notes, why the fuck did I say Angelica yeah. is a lead role and Eliza is a supporting one? You didn't say that. I said that. Because you gave an award to Philippa Sue, and I'm the one who didn't because I consider her a supporting actress. I, My memory was I gave Angelica... L- I, I gave Elise leading actor. That's my memory of it. Yeah, but you considered it when we did the when we did the awards, whether or not you gave Philip Sue an award, I'm not sure. Because I'm the one who said I had this process, I went through, I looked at all the credits, and they all considered Eliza a supporting actress and Angelica a lead, so that's what I went with. And you're the one who said, Hey, you know what? If anyone's gonna fight you on it, that's fine. Because you had a process or whatever. So when I read that, I was like, are you sure that wasn't me? It might have been you. I don't remember. I just want to point out that I definitely did that. And I think we were different on Philippa Sue. So I'm did just we, not do, sure. Do, do, we have, do we have audio evidence now of me like wrestling with your de- decision-making process for weeks? Probably, and- maybe. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not, this could be totally real. I'm not saying that you're recollecting your own opinions wrong. I'm just saying that was definitely what I did. And I'm not sure that's definitely what you did. Because I didn't give Philippa Sue the supporting award. And I would have. And I mentioned, like, I would have given, she would have won. But I didn't consider her a supporting, or I didn't consider her. All right, what's happening here? I'm so confused now. I'm so confused. Did I? Maybe you did do this. Maybe we're going to have to cut this from the podcast. I need to, okay, we need to check. We need a beeper. We need to check to see what happened because I'm so confused. We do because like I'm, I'm trying to go through my notes now and like, am I, am I absolutely crazy? <laughs> no, you're right. No, I think you did do this and I'm the crazy one. Cause that's no, what you're I, right. You're right. You're totally right. I'm totally making a whole fuck of this thing. I'm keeping this all on the podcast for my own embarrassment. I consider her a lead. <laughs> And thus didn't give her an award. Yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Your notes are right. Your notes are correct. I'm an idiot. I'm so sorry to anyone who's listening so, for this debacle. Look, Anyways, it's, back to your point. The thing is, we, we talk about so much. I get it. Like, I get it. And also, you're busy. Like, there's going to be some confusion in details. But my thing is, I think you were right. And I think that on my end, I... I do think that they both deserve some credit. But if I'm being objective and I'm a na- and I'm looking at the show and I'm looking at the weight of the work that they're doing on stage and how these characters fit into the entire show, they're either both lead roles in act 1 or they're either both supporting roles in act 1. I think they carry the same weight. I think it was an analytical mistake 
for me to draw a line between them, you know? And, and that's something that I've been thinking about. I have a hard time saying yes or no to anything right now because I just messed up all. It's hard for me to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that was definitely my opinion when I just forgot what my own opinion was. <laughs> I accidentally, by proxy of the Internet, grouped them together because that's what the Internet has done as leading mm -hmm. actresses. I remember now what happened, and that is what happened. Well, the thing I, is, it was on the Internet, which means it's true. So you're right. fine. I'm fine. <laughs> All good. Everything on the internet is true. If you're listening, if you if you didn't listen to the adult content warning and you're a kid listening to this podcast, everything on the internet is super true. Believe it. We're or off not. to a great start today. This is going to be <laughs> an interesting, an interesting session indeed. All right. I think All of that being so done. Yeah, your, you were saying. Your so correction sorry. is that I just want to be clear so I understand what my opinion because I'm just lost. So your correction is that you had. Angelica is a leading actor or a leading character, and mm -hmm. Eliza is supporting. And you now mm -hmm. feel, in retrospect, that was an incorrect take or way to separate them. And they should have been either all one or all the other. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I think cool. so. And part of me is like, well, then where do I put both of them, right? I'm saying that they both belong in the same category. So do they belong in lead or supporting? And I kind of, I feel as though act one is dense character wise, but when it comes to the leading players, the show is actually pretty efficient and pretty lean. You could, you could make an argument. I don't know if I would agree with it, but you could go out of your way and say that the only main characters in Hamilton, the musical are Alexander Hamilton and Burr. You right. could I, make that. I don't an agree argument. with that, but I that if someone made that argument, I'd be like, "That's that's a fine take." Yeah, at least that, right. At least where you're drawing that line makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's a right? logical line. I think. I, I think on balance, I think for Act One, and I think you have to take to 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 keep Angelica and Eliza together. I think you have to take the whole musical into account because Act One is more Angelica focused. She's more of a main player. Eliza's more of a supporting role. I think. Moving mm -hmm. into Act Two, Eliza's front and center in all the drama, and she is so critical to Act Two. Whereas Angelica's more kind of on the side. Like, I think they just swap a little bit, and so I yeah. think on aggregate they're even. I think it's just because we were talking specifically about Act One. Angelica's a little more present. I and I think that's why I made the delineation I did. But you're right. There's an inversion at intermission, right? And uh, intermission inversion is a great band name, first of all. But there is, like, they do kind of swap roles there going into Act 2, right? Um, but yeah, I think, I think that they both go up to, to lead roles there. Uh, and I assume that's how AEA would define them in contract negotiations. But I don't know if that changes my award roles. I don't know. You know, it's just something that, I, that I've been thinking about. And as a theatrician that tries to be as respectful to all of my colleagues as I can, right? It's something I've been wrestling with and just had to revisit. So respectful. You're on a podcast with a dude who dumped on the King's costume. as like a value village. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember what I said about it, but I caused a ruckus. That was my bad. Yeah. Well, you know, just imagine if you weren't doing the show with me, right? Imagine if, if oh you were my doing... God, I would be, um, Oh mm -hmm. dear. Uh -uh. See, I would be see, I balance it out. I would be in trouble. With Imagine if you were co-hosting this with Bran Vadley, and it was oh, just yeah, yeah. like, 
Yeah. Not great. Oh dear. Not. That's fair enough. <laughs> All right. Are we good to move into the the Q and A? Please, let's do it. Let's rock and roll. Yeah. That was chaotic. I don't know what happened. That was awesome. I'm keeping it it's all pretty in. great. It was pretty that great. Was, I don't think you should cut I, any of it. I'm not. I can't believe I had those opinions mixed up. It actually shows how close we were in general on our opinions that I couldn't mm -hmm. even remember whose was whose. Like, that's how similar we were in that episode that I can't even remember whose opinions were which one of our opinions, which is fun. That's a fun little thing, but I can't believe I did that. Because as I talked myself through it, I was like, oh, yeah, he's right. And I've just made an ass of myself. As you were saying it out loud, you were listening to it. You were like, there's no way that's what All I right, actually as thought. As I was saying it out loud, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. He's definitely right. Yeah, there's All no right, way I actually start, thought that. Yeah. Do you want to start with the email or do you want to start with the theme? Here's what I think. I think we should honor the people that wrote us by letting them close us out. So we should start with our stuff. Like we should start with the theme, sure. right? And like the, you know, because that which that which closes has like a certain cachet, right. right? You know? Gotcha. All right, I'm leading us in. One of my one of my favorites today. Oh, Ardbeg. Oh. The Wee Beast is good. I like the Oogdal the best. The Oogdal is the Oogdal's, best. I it's very expensive though. Yeah, one of the reasons I love the Wee Beastie is I love watching other people drink it for the first time. Uh, yeah, any, anything yeah. peaty for the first time yeah. is a mess. Exactly. I have a, yeah. I have a Laphroaig Select that I never drink, but uh -huh. just to give people, when they're like, oh, that looks good, I want some. Mm -hmm. some? For <laughs> some reason, man, over time, like my palate keeps going to the dirtier, the smokier, the better. Like I can't, like for some I'm reason. I'm very temperature and mood focused. When it's oh, winter time, when I'm mm -hmm. when it's winter time, I'm really into like Arbeg, Lafroig, like that smoky, warm, campfirey kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. uh, when it's summertime, though, if I'm not drinking beer, it's like I want like a, just a nice Canadian light. Right, bourbon is great. Bourbon just sits so well on ice. A lot of just mm -hmm. good. You can get like, even like yeah. Wild Turkey 101. Like you can get cheap bourbon that's good and like a high proof that it sits in ice well. Whereas yeah. Scotch just doesn't really. Irish as well. Give me a good Irish on a summer day. That sits in ice nicely. And so yeah, very, I like, like um, time of the year focused. Yeah, summertime, like Lambay and Powers. Definitely. I'm oh, like, bring, when bring I was on the Irish. Ireland, Powers was the shit. They yeah. like Powers. This is a whole separate uh -huh. conversation. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> I feel like if Maybe, we ever meet in real life, we're just going to be fucking wasted the whole time. Probably, Dude, yeah. I love Powers. I love so Powers. Good. Have I ever told you my conspiracy theory about powers? What? No. Yeah, because it's the it's it's all it's all the Middleton Distillery, right? Yeah, it's all Redbreast, Teeling, um, Middleton, Jameson, all, all of it. Middleton, it's all the same. So, yeah. powers not expensive, really good. Jameson not expensive, good. Okay. There's all of the marketing in the world for powers. My conspiracy, no, for Jameson, my conspiracy theory is they market Jameson so heavily so that they can keep powers for themselves. So that, like, it's only people right. that really like whiskey, like you and me, that are like, powers is clearly better. And everyone else I is like... I wouldn't be surprised if they just take Jameson and they just take the slightly better barrels and blend them and make them powers. And your average, because Jameson, like, most of Jameson's, like, sales wouldn't be personal sales. 
They would be yeah. sales to bars who are mixing it. Whereas Powers is more likely not to be mixed, and it's more likely that you and I would go up and order a Powers. Yeah. I mean, because most people are doing, like, most people are doing blasters or they're doing, like, Jameson's and Cokes or Jameson Gingers, right? right? But, like, you're not... Jameson uh, Ginger is very good, though. It is good. It is very good. But, like, you're not... You're you're not you're not making a blaster with powers, you know. Exactly. All so. right, we're gonna get back to that. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're, we're for... yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, dear listeners, we may or may not have just got a ten-minute uh, talk about whiskey, just proving once again <laughs> that the recording this podcast takes like five hours, and you listen to two and a half of it. Uh, what we're gonna do is we're gonna let you guys close us out. You guys did give us some awesome feedback, some really cool questions, uh, some things to think about, and we decided to to close up the podcast would be a cool way to honor what you guys have, have kind of done, giving us feedback and whatnot. Um, so what we're gonna do is we're gonna kind of talk about what we had to discuss for this episode and move into what you guys sent us as we move towards the end here. We might do a little mix and match and conversations, as you know, with us to flow between things. They just don't stay on topic for very long at all. The first thing, and this is one I put in the notes, and I think it's very important to discuss because Hamilton is a show that has a lot of sub-themes going through it. And I think we'll just talk about all the themes until we arrive at the main one. I don't think we have to have an answer, but... I want to try and figure out on this podcast episode, what is the main theme of Act 1 of Hamilton? If you had to take all the smaller themes, distill them together, right, blend them together, what is Act 1 trying to teach us? And we will have to talk about Act 2 to to fully get it, just because it, Act 1 sets up Act 2. So you have the theme of Act 1, the theme of Act 2, and then the theme of the whole musical together, I think, are three separate things. And they play well with each other, ideally. So I, I think I want to start with brotherhood. One of the bigger themes in Act 1, for sure, I'm not sure if it's the main one, but brotherhood is so present. It's one of the first thing that happens. Hamilton gets this group of friends. He's never had a group of friends before. They have multiple like drinking fun nights. I'm still upset that Washington isn't at the last one. Um, what do you think about brotherhood as a theme for Act 1? I think that it's, respectfully, I think that it's a starting point. I think sure. that... Yeah, I don't think it's the main theme. It's know, just where my head goes to. If you said theme, Act 1, like just word association... Brotherhood just comes to mind right away. I can see that. I can easily believe that just because of the things that I, when I associate your, your fandom of Hamilton with you, like when I contemplate why you love the show, right? There is Yorktown. Tomorrow there'll be more of us. There's my shot. A lot of your most impactful favorite moments do revolve around brotherhood and so i'm not sure. necessarily surprised to hear that right? <laughs> i like how you're analyzing the, the musical and me <laughs> oh I, I, I love that about this podcast that's awesome well absolutely i mean because as i've discussed before part of analyzing the fandom of a show is what the fan is bringing to that show right what do we connect to what do we like what are we taking out of it yeah and I don't think that you're anywhere off base. I don't think that like there's no there's no illegitimacy to what you're bringing to the show. It's not just because I think that you would connect to that. I also see where you would get that way objectively and not just subjectively because when you look at our bro squad and when you look at the 
like masculine uh like group therapy session that Yorktown is and Washington is occupying this space of kind of like a father figure but also a big brother figure in a way to Hamilton that is never right. yeah, yeah, yeah like they don't draw a line between that he seems to be a father and a big brother at the same time to me at least maybe I'm maybe I'm bringing shit to the show that doesn't actually belong there but that's that's the way I feel it so I I do I say that brotherhood is part of act one I don't think that it's my number one theme of act one but it's there i think i think too my most of my digestion of hamilton when i watched it live it was like two months before covid like january of mm-hmm. 2019 2020 january of 2020 sorry that's when i was mm-hmm. in the uk january of 2020 <laughs> i'm getting my that's how much covid has messed me up um so january of 2020 is when i saw it COVID was only two months after that and then i didn't see it again until like july when it came out on disney plus so i've only ever really experienced hamilton in covid when like you can't go out and see your friends where all of your friends are kind of separate i work with a lot of people that are foreign so they live in mm-hmm. the uk australia new zealand so maybe it just stands out more to me because i've experienced particularly at a time in most people's lives right now where friendship and brotherhood and those types of things in real life are hard to come by. So you notice it more in the media that you, it's kind of like when you, when, when you, when you hear something for the first time and then you just start noticing it everywhere. It's kind of one of those things I think as well, why it stands out. Yeah, that makes sense. It really does. It, it makes total sense to me. I think that the musical puts a lot of weight on that, right? It's a, um, one line that we keep coming back to is I've never had a group of friends before. For some reason that sticks out to the both of us. And I assume we're not the only ones. And I think that it's definitely, that's one of the, the foundational blocks of act one is that Hamilton has found a family through brotherhood. We've talked about it through the costuming. Everybody gets there wearing the club now coat. We've talked about it in staging. We've talked about it in how the boys deal with Burr. We've talked about who's in the in-group and who isn't. You do have those... You have those mean girls moments in Hamilton. Oh, yeah, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. They're, they're, they're yeah. not nice to Burr. They're very yeah. not unkind. <laughs> yeah, I think that, that Brotherhood is definitely a foundational building block to Act 1 of Hamilton. I don't know if it's my pick for the main theme of the act or the show but it wouldn't be the same show without it i do see that all right what theme are you bringing to the table legacy i have that in a question that i didn't put in the doc i saved it for act two but legacy huge in hamilton for sure that that i think is the the theme of act one i think that act one is about setting up Hamilton to rightly or wrongly for the rest of his life wrestle with how he's going to define his legacy. The the theme of history having its eyes on Hamilton will haunt him. It will influence his decisions in Act 2. I think that 
part of what they're striving for in Act 1 is setting up the legacy of the nation. Both our protagonist and our antagonist have their children in Act 1. They produce their legacy, right? Their progeny that they're that they're hoping will continue on their legacy. I think that that memory legacy, the the thought that that you care about how your story will be told and how you'll be thought of. I think that that's the theme of act one. And, uh, you know, that's admittedly influenced by the fact that I know act two, but I think that absolutely. And that's the point of the, I think with the theme, you have to know act two to really get a good grip on it because they influence each other. I, that's interesting to me. And, I think that may be part of why I asked you the question that I did before we started, right? Like the the question that I I wanted to discuss today. I right. I am I can't honestly say if I would think that if I did not know what happens in Act Two, what the lyrics of Act Two are. Yeah, right? that's what I'm trying I'm, to say is that whatever yeah, themes yeah. you picked for Act One, if you had not seen Act Two, I think you'd have to go back and recalibrate. I don't think you if probably you just picked, would. Yeah. Yeah, because it would be very easy to say that the theme of Act One is death to all limings. Because that's what most <laughs> of Act One deals with, right? Like you could you could say Screw that. The British. Yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh it, right. it's very easy to say that, that that's the theme of Act One. But at the same time, it is through those militaristic efforts that Hamilton defines his legacy. That's why I keep coming back to that. Every, everything that he does in Act 1, it comes back to how he's going to be remembered, how he's going to impact tomorrow. And that's a huge turning point for him. That right there, for the first time I'm thinking past tomorrow, I'm thinking about the day after tomorrow. I'm thinking about next year. I'm thinking about legacy. And again, the hard part for me is, am I, you know, do I feel that way about Act 1 just because of Act 1? Or, or do I feel that way because of the spoken word in World is Wide Enough? You know, planting seeds in a garden you never get to see. I feel like Hamilton ends his time on stage dealing with legacy, so do I retroactively assume that legacy is also the theme of act one that being said it's my first impulsive response you I, know i don't think it matters to be honest i don't think it matters it's the like, the answer is the answer is the answer there's no wrong or right answer like i don't think like if you if you if you didn't watch act two maybe legacy wouldn't come up at all but maybe you're noticing it more because you've seen it the other sub theme i think you're right that legacy especially when we know act two it's definitely more of a theme than 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 brotherhood for sure there's another sub theme here and i think it's a main theme but i think the show through burr's narration is definitely trying to say something about kind of just taking life on and the characters in hamilton that get what they want or the character, I guess it's just Hamilton and Burr. There's not a lot of characters in Hamilton, but they, they're definitely trying to draw a line. Like Hamilton goes, especially in act one In act two, he messes it up a little bit, 
<laughs> but in act one, like they're trying to draw the line between like Hamilton, a person who knows what he wants and he works hard and he goes and gets it. And Burr, a character that has an idea of where he wants to end up, but doesn't like actively take life on to get there. And I think there's a little bit of a sub theme kind of inter intertwining there where the characters in Hamilton that, are, that end up being the most successful, especially in act one specifically are the ones that go like when you see there, even just through the choreography, like Lawrence, he ends up dying, but until then he was relatively successful and he's mm -hmm. out there and there's there, his choreography is very aggressive and he's going and there's that choreo of him, like stabbing a British guy. Like he's going to get what he wants. You don't get that same kind of choreo with Burr's choreo. You kind of get like, he walks into Washington's office and then Washington kicks him out. And that kind of sucks, right? Like you don't get this. I don't know. I think there's a sub theme there, maybe accidentally, where the characters in Hamilton that are generally doing better are the ones that are passionately going after what they want. And the ones that aren't doing quite as well, or at least perceive that they're not doing quite as well, are the ones that are more laid back and not not going for it. If, if, if any of that's making sense. It is. Yeah. You're. Uh, what I'm hearing is you discussing the value of ambition the the right. show hamilton presents to us like some kind of meritocracy where it, you are rewarded if you are more energetic more ambitious burr who who tells us i'm not standing still i'm lying in wait i'm i'm biding my time i because i have some kind of plan i think i'm being smart and being cautious but at the same time we're allowed to believe that he is just standing still but it's those that write non-stop it's those that write like they're running out of time it's those that take risks lafayette lawrence hamilton even jefferson goes out on a limb to fight for what he believes right these are the characters that are rewarded with objective prizes and and Burr is not so. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of value in what you're putting forward. the The show does respect. I think too, it's a lot of ambitious perception. Mm, like mm -hmm. Burr perceives himself as having being really hard done by compared to Hamilton. He's not actually being that hard done by, right? Like he's mm -hmm. fine. He's he has a good job. He's making money. Like he's not. He has a home. Like this guy is not having a bad deal out of the whole thing. It's a lot of it's perception based as well. Yeah, there is some accurate value in his uh, in every place I've checked, you know, the constant thing was your disrespect. Like Hamilton was a constant antagonist to him, but it wasn't because Hamilton was going out of his way to be some kind of nemesis to Burr. It was because they honestly disagreed. So, right. the, but that, but that to borrow your phrase, that being done hard by was mutual. You know, Hamilton wasn't going out of his way to be a dick to Burr. He had enough to do already. You know, he he, he was <laughs> right. he, like he he had three he had, girls he was, busy he was punching, balancing. Pu punching bursers. <laughs> he was a busy guy. He's whining exactly. about Washington not giving him a command. He was mad at Charles Lee for a little bit. That brings up another sub theme if you're if you're comfortable moving forward uh yeah yeah keep it keep it rolling 
what you just said brings up a sub theme that I wanted to discuss, which is just station. You know, like Hamilton is so concerned with the perceptions of the world around him. And when he, oh, hello, Phoebe. (laughs) (laughs) Phoebe making a guest appearance on Let's Dive Deep. Once again, this is an animal-loving podcast. Uh, You know, he's so concerned with how people are going to perceive him after the war, and he makes all these arguments to Washington based on on how Washington's success and public opinion of Washington are going to reflect on him. And Hamilton's fear of public opinion definitely gets paid off in Act 2, right? So I... Once again, I think that knowing what happens in Act 2 influences my opinion. But even if you haven't seen Act 2, if Act 1 of of Hamilton was a one-act play, you could still understand that Hamilton being preoccupied with social status is a running theme throughout the act. And yes. I think <laughs> I think it's important, you know. He cares about. <laughs> he care- yeah. I I think he cares about it more than winning the war. Like he'll die or get that social status. He doesn't like I, I like he is into it for sure. That's what he wants is that he wants to rise up. Like he doesn't want to stay still, for sure. I think that that's a bit critical. I don't know. Like the the Hamilton that we get in the show is truly a patriot. He's truly passionate about winning the war. But but I do see how you get there because his conversation yeah, with I don't Washington, think I don't think he you know, wants to I don't think he wants the Brits to win at all. I think I think he either wants to I think he wants to win the war, but if he lives through it, he wants to win and rise up or die like a hero and a martyr. I don't know if he wants to be in that middle ground where he wins and then fades into obscurity forever. That I agree with. The middle is unacceptable for him either way. Whether he's on top or yeah, bottom, that's more what fine. I'm trying to get at. Yeah, Whether yeah, he's on yeah. the bottom I'm and he died there. a martyr, that's good. Or he's on the top, he just doesn't want that obscure middle ground for himself. I'm definitely with you there. Yeah. All right. I don't have any other. Brotherhood and, and Legacy were the two that I was going to bring up. Um, so I don't have any other themes. I think I can settle on Legacy as the main theme. With all the other sub themes, I'd be interested to see what you, the listener, have for themes, though, because there are so many. I'm sure you could do a dozen themes with like 86 sub sub themes, kind of weaving their way through Hamilton. Um, but those were the ones that I kind of picked up. Was there anything else you had in terms of theme? No, it's Stoy Contento. Seriously, I mean, there's you could. I think Hamilton is one of those shows where. You could talk about running themes for hours. I mean, we we could have done an entire episode on that if we had an unlimited amount of time, right? Because right. it is it is pr- a pretty decent work of art that does channel and discuss these themes that are gonna resonate with the average listener or viewer. Like it covers a lot of emotional ground, but. I mean, that's those are my picks, both for the minor running themes and for the major ones, you know. And one of the reasons that I endorse them all, whether minor or major, is that they do ask questions that are paid off in Act Two, right? You know, you all of these very deep 
concerns have to be paid off some way in what follows. And if not, then they're less relevant. But because they are, like that's what, even dealing with Act 1, like we, we have all this conversation about spoilers and not whatever, like they are paid off in Act 2, and so that lends credence to them being the governing precepts. Right. All right, so we're going to settle. Let's dive deep. Official settling on Legacy as the main theme for Act 1 with a variety of sub-themes. Let us know what your themes are on Twitter or via email. We are going to move on. I think the next thing, I think we're going to head to yours in just a minute here. Um, I think I think if you don't know, I think the next thing we'll cover, if you don't know the story, what do you think is going to happen in Act 2? It's such a fun question. So we'll be right back with you guys. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with the question. If you don't know the story, we're trying to put ourselves back to the first time we ever watched Hamilton, whether it was live, whether it was on Disney+, Plus, whether it was the soundtrack. For you guys, if you didn't know how Act 2 went, because most of what I knew of Hamilton was the first part, right? Not really of Alexander Hamilton, but once the war gets going, like, oh, the Americans are going to win this one because that's what happens. Right? We have no idea what's going to happen, at least I didn't going into act two. So I don't know if I could tell you what I thought was going to happen. Cause when you were, when you're just watching, you're just going and you have lots of questions during the intermission, but the, during that first intermission, most of my head was like, that was so fucking cool. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Right? Like you're not really thinking about, you're just excited for what's next. I will say, well, I'm just going to shoot off some things here. I did not. We talked about this a little before we started. I did not expect Hamilton. And we're, we're not going to dive into anything else, but this is a spoilery because we're talking about Act 2, so spoilers for Act 2. I did not expect Hamilton to just straight up cheat on his wife. I did not expect that from Hamilton. And when you go back and you watch it, it makes perfect sense how we got there, but I did not expect it. And I remember, so when Say No to This came on for the first time, I was like, oh, don't. You're going to. We all like... Because that the song, and we'll dive into it when we get there, but that song, just the way it starts, you're like, he's cheating on it. He's sleeping with her right now. <laughs> that is what's happening in this song. And you just, I didn't expect it. And so say no to this comes on. Because like when he doesn't go, it's back to back. When he doesn't go off to upstate, right? It's just because he he's stressed and he has to finish his job and whatever. And that really vibes with Hamilton, regardless of the affair that's coming up. And then then say no to this comes on and you're like, oh my God. Like, this is a turn, and it's, like, Burr comes on the stage, and he's like, oh, just, oh, my God. So I did not expect that, and I freaked out when it happened. I remember that so vividly. Just Burr coming on, I mean, like, there's nothing like summer, and you're like, oh, shit, that's low. That's not good. What's about to happen is not good, and I, I love it. I love it. I just did not expect it in Act 2 at all the first time. It is right there in the orchestration, right? There is something... There is something dangerous, but also very sensual about that song. And Leslie Odom Jr. does go to a place that you haven't really seen him go to yet, right? You know, he, once yeah. again, he has no ceiling. He has, that guy can do anything. Yeah, I did not expect it. What a, we'll dive into the song when we get there. What a performance from everyone involved. Super happy for Jasmine Jones to get one song where she just is incredible. But, mm -hmm. man, 
Just in terms of things I did not expect in Act 2, that was certainly one of them. Was there anything that first time that you didn't expect in Act 2? The... Ish. I had the misfortune of knowing the show very well before I saw it. Just because... Ah, I mean, that's a blessing. It's like one of those things you always want what you can't have. Right? Like, I would have preferred it the way I did it. Mm-hmm. I think where you just like seeing it for the first time, you have no idea, but I assume there's lots of people who would, who like, like when you give, when you buy a book and you read all the chapter titles, I don't like that. I want to, I want each chapter title to hit me as I go. I don't want any spoilers. Oh, I don't know who would do that. That's, that sounds like, Oh, really? Wh- loads of people ca- like open a book and read the chapter titles. They want to get like their bearings. They want to kind of have an anchor. There are loads of people that would have preferred to, to know what happens before they watch the musical. I think. Oh God! Let us they... know. I think there's lots. Of, I don't. I don't know if it's half and half, but I think there's a decent amount of people no, who like you... to know what's gonna. Oh, if you do, if you do that, you need to get taken out of the beating shed and beat with the beating stick. Like there's like chapter headings are part of the surprise. <laughs> like that's part of the thing. I just thing. want to be clear. I I'm not endorsing that. That's how that's how Georgians deal with the spoiler people. <laughs> that's up to Georgia. But up in Vancouver, yeah. we don't have beating sheds. Well, we do. It's it's either that or a brickin. Either way. <laughs> it's a Georgian um, staple. It's a Georgian staple. When you fly into Atlanta, there's a few in the parking lot. Yeah, exactly. You know, you can rent one if you're if you're in town for a week or a month. You, you know, we've got them. We've we've got them outside Hartsfield Jackson. You just rent a beaten yeah, shed for a it's week. Called, it's called it's called it's called rent a shed, so it sounds less conspicuous. Rent a shed. Like I think it is. <laughs> anyway. So it's hard to identify what I didn't expect because I was so familiar with the show already just by dint of being in the industry and it being the most famous thing since the slinky. You could not avoid Hamilton if you tried. And I did, you know, because it was just so hip and it was just everywhere. I was inundated by Hamilton, but as soon as I relented and listened to it, I was blown away. I mean, my, my socks flew off. My hair was blown back. It was amazing. But when I finally saw it, it was, you know, it's hard to say what did I not expect to happen. When I listened to it, there were things that I didn't expect them to include, per se, right? Um I did not expect Burr to be such a sympathetic character in Act 2 and for him to maintain the emotional weight with the audience that he does from Act 1. I thought that was a really good storytelling choice. I'm glad they made that choice. Right. When when I saw the show, the, the thing that I did not truly expect was the visuals in Hurricane. I had had people describe to me how good the show looked. And they specifically did discuss Hurricane, right? And they told me, you're a lighting designer. You're going to lose it. And (laughs) I, I, I remember being like, how good can it be? Like, I've... After seeing Phantom, Les Mis, like, how, how are you gonna, how are you gonna wow me? You know, after after right, seeing American sure. Idiot, a, how are 
how are you going to wow me? Like, what is left? You know, at this day and age, what is left to actually blow people away? And son of a bitch, they did it. They actually did. Um, another thing I didn't expect, just from a narrative point of view, uh, and something that I really look forward to discussing later on, and I also fear discussing because I'm not going to do it with a straight face, right? Because I can't, I can't watch the end of the show with a straight face. But the turn oh, it's they heartbreaking. Make, Good it's heartbreaking. Right? Yeah. The turn they make shifting the focus onto Betsy and giving her the show at the end of it and what that means to me is, is amazing. You know, and and I know that I'm not alone in that. That's what I did not expect. The uh, I did not expect the emotional impact of the word orphanage. Listen to her sing. Can I show you what I'm proudest of? The orphanage, and try not to feel like. Everything, everything leading up to that moment. Try, try you, you not can't, to feel. You can't That's do it. That's a hard it. thing to do in general. I think it is. It's a you know, and yeah. and I have. I, I mean, I have difficulty feeling on an everyday basis just because I'm an emotionally disconnected person. But this show gets me. I mean, it gets me deep right. in my core. Right. That's what I didn't expect. The fact that you know. I I went into the show expecting um, 1776. I went into the show expecting something like Camelot, expecting like some boilerplate history musical. Uh, I knew it was Lin-Manuel Miranda, but I didn't understand that it was going to be a historical version of his In the Heights stylings, except better. It really did blow me away. So that's what I... I really didn't expect the emotional impact of, of Act Two. That's that's what I did look. That's what, what I, I thought coming. was going to happen. For for one of the things that I thought was going to happen, right? Because there's two ways to go about this. Now that we I know Act Two, so I'm trying to put myself back. Right? Mm-hmm. There's things you didn't expect, and then there's things you thought were going to happen, and it's kind of the two sides of the same coin. I thought so. Going in, you know, going into Act Two, you know that Burr shoots Hamilton. I'm the damn fool who shot him. But you don't know why. And so part of me probably should have cottoned on that the duel was going to be important. And that's why Ten Duel Commandments is a whole song. Because they Mm -hmm. want you to be familiar with duels. And I should have cottoned on to that and I didn't. I did not expect the time jump. I thought Burr was going to shoot him by accident. I was fully convinced that Burr was going to kill Hamilton by accident. And that's the tragedy of the story is that Hamilton has done all this work to rise. Like, a whole act one is, like, his emotional rise to mm-hmm. his station. And that through some... I didn't know what... Like I didn't know anything. So I just thought through some random turn of events. Right. And I didn't know that Hamilton... I didn't know when Hamilton died. I f- assumed the play would end close to his death because it's they, they let you know that he dies. Mm-hmm. Right? But I didn't know when he died or when Washington died or anything like that. And so I totally thought Burr, through some accidental chain of events was going to shoot him by accident. And that was the tragedy of the story, is that Burr was going to be a murderer. Hamilton wasn't going to get to live this ambitious life hmm. that he had just fought so hard for. 
and that's where the tragedy would be. Not at all correct. That's what I thought was going to happen. Is in that is that in is that influenced by I'm the damn fool that shot him? Does that did that imply to you that it was a mistake? Yeah, it must be. Gotcha. I can't remember yeah. everything, but I remember that. I remember going into Act Two, going Burr shoots Hamilton. This has got to be an accident, and that's what makes the story tragic. Because up until then, Burr is still a pretty good guy. He was just a little like, yeah, do I want to? Do mm-hmm. I not want to? Right, but Burr and Hamilton are pretty friendly. They're pretty close by the end of Act One. They're going back. You can see the the fissures starting to crack. But the first time, there's so much happening. You definitely don't. Um, you just they're pretty friendly. They're close, right? And then that was going to be the tragedy of the story. And so I just completely whiffed on that. I'm I like the version we got better, obviously, but that's where <laughs> I thought it was going with Burr and Hamilton. I think that that's a benefit of not being an American, honestly. Because before the musical and before the biography from Chernow, the fact that Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton is probably what most people know about both of those guys. That's probably what most Americans remembered them as before these stories became popular, you know? And so you actually got to experience the drama for that. I have to assume there's plenty of people that went to see the show that already knew that most dramatic moment. And there was other parts of the show that impacted them more that they didn't know about. So it's curious to, to compare and contrast those two experiences, you know, and I'm glad that you got to be surprised by it because you, you as an audience member got to add to that moment of drama, a level of surprise and a level of epiphany that I didn't get to experience. Because in a way, I knew what was coming. I just didn't know how they were going to stage it. Whereas you got to have a right, more so you know what's going to happen. On, yeah, you just don't know how they're going to get there exactly. Right. Oh, right. Right. So, like, you were in a way, like, you were watching Return of the Jedi. I was watching Revenge of the Sith. Like, this can only end one way. I just don't know how they're going to do it yet. You know, or like I'm watching Rogue One. Like, none of these people can survive. They're not in the next movie, but how are you going to dramatize it? You'd know, you know that, but you don't know that if you're... Yeah, yeah I get you. But yeah, yeah I to- totally convinced that Burr was just going to accidentally shoot Hamilton. And that that's like that was going to happen, like, not at the very end, but, like, halfway through Act 2. Mm-hmm. And then the tragedy of that was going to be, nope, wrong. So what was your... Like, what's your imagining there? Like, are they are they at a tavern... And Burr's just like cleaning a pistol or like, what was so, like, You just only have 45, you have your 45 minute intermission and, or an hour or however long it is. And it's just, you're just overwhelmed. So I just didn't know. Mm-hmm. I just had no idea. Would, like, that's just where my brain went was just somehow, right. It's going to be an accident. I don't know what the, I don't know what the situation is. I don't even, cause it didn't happen. Right. Like, I don't know. Now that I know it doesn't happen like that. I have no idea right. what reasonable situation would have led me to believe that. I hadn't yeah. thought about it. I just remember feeling like, oh, that's where this is going. When you saw the show, was intermission 45 minutes long? No, it was longer than that. Maybe an hour. Good Lord. You had an hour long intermission? It was around that. 45 minutes. House company it's, it's needs a, to step things up. Yeah, it was. I don't, I don't go to many musicals. It felt pretty normal to me. I don't know. Wow. What is the normal intermission? Fifteen twenty. What is the in- 
What is the intermission right now, Hamill? Get butts back in I'm seats. searching Hamilton tickets. Hamilton tickets, Broadway. I'm going to see what they say is the intermission time. I want to say it's like 45 minutes. That is wild. Uh, let's let's buy uh, let's buy Hamilton tickets for. Let's do it. Let's do it live on, on air right Thursday. now. Live on air. I'm buying Hamilton tickets for the September the 23rd. Um, it usually tells you how long it is and how long the intermission is. Although oh, with God. a big crowd, depending on how many bathrooms they have, I get it. <laughs> half an hour. This one's half an hour on Broadway. I'll tolerate a half hour intermission. Yeah, three I hours am, uh, when the musicals are on two and a half. Man, I'm I'm a stickler for timing. I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, 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 I could, am really. To be I'm fair, really it could have totally it. been half an hour, and it felt like forty five minutes. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just I'm just recollecting what happened. I don't actually know. It felt around forty five minutes to me. Now that I'm seeing half an hour for the Broadway show, I'm sure it was somewhere closer to that. But yeah. it felt well, around. I don't know. I just went. I just saw the tickets and went. I didn't think about it. I don't know. Look, I didn't mean to attack you, baby. I was just like a 45-minute yeah. hour. Well, it's just it like questioning cool. like, oh, is it like 10 minutes and I'm saying 45 right now? Should yeah. be 10. You should, you should go. You should get a drink. Get back in your seat. You'll pee when it's done. Like, you know, people sat through Lord of the Rings without an intermission. And yet when we put on a play, we have to put a break in between because some reason theater isn't legitimate enough in art form for people to take a break. Now uh, I'm going to put my soapbox away. I'm sorry, but I, I do like (laughs) the idea of the intermission as a break where you can, you can step away and think about what happened during act one. Right. But it gets a bit convoluted if you want to do a three-act structure or the five-act structure that Shakespeare did. Now, when you want to produce a Shakespearean play, you have to figure out how you're going to convert your five-act structure into a two-act one. And it just gets to be a bit of a bother, is all I'm saying. Yeah, the West End one only has the running time of the musical. It doesn't have the intermission time on the West End website, so I don't know. I'm assuming identical. Well, they like to queue, so I imagine their intermission's a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, I saw it in London. So I don't know if London and lineups are a thing. Anyways, all right, let's move on. Was there anything else that you weren't expecting? I saw Avenue Q on the West End in London with my mom. It is one of my favorite theatrical memories of all time, is watching Avenue Q with my mom in London. That was one of the best productions I have ever seen. It was so good. Shout out to the original West End production of Avenue Q. Those guys did an amazing job. Anyway, sidebar. All right. I don't think there was anything else. That was mostly what I didn't expect was the affair as like the, my biggest thing I didn't expect. And the thing I thought was going to happen was definitely some accidental Bershoots Hamilton action. So I think I'm good there. I am and too. I kinda- yeah. My my mischief is managed as well. Shall we move along? Perfect. All right. We're moving along. But before we move along, listeners, let us know in email form, tweet form, smoke signal form. I don't know. Whatever you got. What did you think going into Hamilton for the first time? What did you think was going to happen in Act 2? And what were you surprised happened in Act 2? Because then we can bring it up when it happens in Act 2. Oh, these people were surprised by this. And that will be a fun little content thing we can do. We are moving on to, what question are we moving on to? Let's do a jingle and we'll come back with something for you guys. 
Jingle over. We are back. Next question before we dive into your emails will be, if you have to make any changes, the situation is thus. We are taking over Hamilton on Broadway or anywhere. It's the same musical. All right. We're taking over Hamilton. I'm going to pretend that we have the donut revolve, the concentric donut revolve. Is that correct? Because the Australians don't have that. And that's hard to watch a little bit. Anyways. So we have the concentric donut revolve in this situation. Uh, we are taking over Hamilton. The The laws of the universe dictate that we must make at least one change to the musical, which is near perfect, but we have to make a change. And a change has to be like noticeable. It can't be like, oh, this person's shoelace tip would be like a slightly less dark black. Like that's not, it's a change, but it's not noticeable. It has to be like a person could reasonably notice the change in your version of Hamilton. Here is mine. And I will be honest, this is slightly changed from the soundtrack to the live performance on Disney+. And I'm sure each actor that sings it as Hamilton probably has their own take on it. This seems like the kind of song where you could improvise a little bit and your mic probably just stays on through this part. I'm not sure exactly how that works with the mic stuff, but here is my change that I'm making. In the soundtrack version of Hamilton on Spotify or wherever you're listening to it in right hand man. I always play with when I'm just running around doing Hamilton karaoke, I always play with the rise ups in that song. So you start that song with as a kid in the Caribbean, I wished for a war. I knew that I was poor. I knew it was the only way. And then the ensemble sings rise up with Lin-Manuel Miranda. I prefer it where Hamilton doesn't sing Rise Up with the ensemble until the last one. I love that for Hamilton. Like he's in the brotherhood. He's found his friends. He's he's really like deep in it. Like he, like I am either going to die on the battlefield in glory or, and I like the idea that his friends, the ensemble in this case is Lawrence, Lafayette, Hercules. Like they're not, like they're people you know that are kind of behind him. And I like, I love the idea that this is like a voice in his head. This is happening in his head and it's his friends encouraging him to, to rise up to this moment. And then just before they introduce Washington, before they hand it over to Burr, that final rise up is where Hamilton joins in. And in the musical version, Hamilton misses the first two rise ups, but hits like the last three. And I'm like, no, commit to it either way, Lin-Manuel. Either do them all or only do the last one. But in the on the Disney Plus version, he like half commits in between. And I just always preferred it every time I do my own karaoke version of it. I don't sing any of the Rise Ups as Hamilton until the last one. And I pretend the ensemble of Friends is like a voice in Hamilton's head, kind of pushing him and helping him get to this moment because he's kind of in a place of real deep introspection. Ugh, that's my change. That's my first change. It's an interesting change. It's a very Honestly, interesting change. Hanging like that. It's interesting. Am I, am I leaving you hanging? I don't know. I don't, I'm not looking. I don't know if I'm looking for like, oh yes, Brad, that's a good change. Don't worry. You're, like, oh, you're an idiot. I don't know what I'm looking for, but we'll go with interesting. <laughs> that's fine. That's it's just my change. I just I just prefer it. I just I, no one can convince me that I'm not going to prefer it. I like I like Hamilton joining in on the last rise up. Because he's coming, he's not leading his friends in that moment. He's being introspective and his friends yeah. are kind of pushing him. And so I like it that, it, it, like, I imagine it's like a voice inside of his head pushing him until the very end there. Anyways, that's how right. I've always imagined it and I prefer it that way. Maybe, maybe it will be 
less of me leaving you hanging if I elaborate on why it's so interesting to me is because what rightly or wrongly what I'm hearing from you is if Hamilton hesitates and does not join in singing, that's indicative of him wrestling with things. He's pondering and being introspective. He's holding off and then he doesn't, he doesn't sing rise up until the last because now he's made up his mind. I don't right? see it like that. I see it like a boxer coming in for a boxing match. He's going to rise up, but you don't just go into the ring and start punching people. You have this moment where you're walking out, you got your cool shorts on, the crowd's going wild. People are pumping you up. You mm -hmm. know you're about to go into this fight. You know you're like, Hamilton's going to do it. It's not about Hamilton wrestling with that, but he's in his head. He's getting prepared for that fight. Right. He's going back like as a kid in the Caribbean, I wished for a war and his friends are like hyping him up. That's more how I envision like a boxer coming out to go to the fight. And the crowd is his friends yelling rise up. And just before the fight start, he joins in with them and he's hyped up as well. That's how I'm envisioning mm. this whole canonical thing in my head It's like a boxer coming out for their match. And he just needs, he's just getting that hype, but it's not about him questioning whether or not he wants to do it. The momentum in that moment, you know, he's oscillating between singing along and, and being silent, you know, sometimes rise up, sometimes not. It's kind of a, it's kind of a wave. You're looking more of a, like a takeoff. You want him to hit that, that peak I'm looking energy. for a takeoff. Right. So yeah, I, I got you. I don't mind on the soundtrack yeah, yeah. because at least it's consistent. The soundtrack mm -hmm. is just consistent. He just always sings Rise Up, and that's fine. The The musical, like, in Disney+, Plus, is not consistent. Mm -hmm. He joins in, like, halfway through, and that's always felt off to me. I prefer it on both if Hamilton just didn't join in. Like, it's an, it's ramping up. And when Hamilton, yeah. like, Hamilton sings the last Rise Up, that's when it goes. As soon as Hamilton's in on the Rise Up, he the, that's when things take off that's exactly what i'm thinking in yeah, my canon gotcha. version of how this yeah how this that's... plays to the crowd that's how i'm because he's center stage it's noticeable when he's not singing it and i right. always preferred it right. that way and that's that's such a specific change i mean we're talking about i mean i don't know how many bars but it's not like it's not a whole song you're talking about one specific part of the the track i love that how how specific your changes yeah it's but it's just it's the it's the change i feel most strongly about i make it every time every time i do the karaoke of that song which is often and kind of embarrassing but still i never i never add the rise ups i always take them out i always just preferred it so i don't know that's my that's my first little change you like what you like man yeah do you have well, any change you have to make a change i you know, I've posited a change on the show already. Um, Flotilla yeah, let's, let's is just clearly that one for sure. Flotilla is clearly the the correct decision. You know, uh, battalion is wrong. Flotilla is right. That's just the way it should be. Right, uh, I'm change. gonna get. I'm not gonna. Yuck, I'm, I'm not gonna yuck your yum right now. We've been through <laughs> that. So, uh, I, I'm gonna get. A little bit into the weeds, maybe, because my change is specifically about the Disney Plus version rather than the show itself. Uh, and it's it's not just the show. Sure. It's Absolutely. The filming. Um, 
And I am looking at moments like the end of Ten Dual Commandments, number 10 paces fire, when we have these quick cuts between cameras. And it's moments like that where it's not a theatrical sensibility. It's very much a film sensibility where we're snapping between camera feeds. It's very much like a movie or a television show. And in producing the live version, there are moments where the, the director of photography kind of takes me out of the show a little bit. And I, and I think that, I think there's room for close-ups. I think there's room for intimacy when you're filming these shows. And I know there's a lot of work that goes into adapting these shows for the camera. I mean, first of all, the camera th sees things so differently than the way the eye sees things. I mean, they have to edit the lighting design in order to make it work for the camera, first of all, to make things look good. And when they're shooting those close-ups, that's going to be a different night with a different stack of cues sometimes. And so I respect it. I get it. But if the goal of the Disney Plus version of Hamilton is to get what the show is on its own out to a large audience, right? Give us the show. Uh, give us the show as it is. I love the multi-camera idea where you can see different angles of the show. It gives some energy. And if you just have a show downhouse center and you're just seeing the wide shot the whole time, there is something about that that does feel like recording a high school play. I admit that. But there's a middle ground I think we can find. <laughs> I think that we can make adjustments to where right. we're not doing all of these snappy edits. And it just kind of takes me out a little bit. Now, there's one exception to that. There is, I think it's in Yorktown, but they have a camera shot from the grid, from the lighting grid looking down on the stage, and that's just cool. That's just a really cool nerd I always liked like, the you, one you, from behind when the king comes out. Like where the, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The shot from yeah. behind where King George is coming out. I've always liked mm -hmm. that one, too, because you'll just never get that in an audience, no, ever, no matter where you sit. Right, and it's not so much the variety of points of view that I take exception to. It's that snappy editing between all of them so quickly. Like at the it's end edited of a movie instead of a musical. And it really, you know, there's a bit of a whiplash. And there's also, like, there's a bit of a, a retard at the end of that number on the Disney Plus version that isn't present on the soundtrack, like it slows down in a way that for me, like takes the energy out of it. And I feel like I'm comfortable being wrong, but it feels like they did that to make more room for the camera edits. And I feel like the last thing you want to do at the end of 10 Dual Commandments is slow the music down. Like you want it to keep moving along, right? That's that's how I feel, you know. So that would that would be my change is just fewer camera edits in the recorded version on Disney Plus. That's my change. Right. I 
I don't have any other big. Ch that's my biggest change. I would definitely change the. I would find a better way to. I believe it's Bullet Girl that has the the short sleeves. And I talked about that before. <laughs> definitely day one. Day up. one in charge of Hamilton. I'm trying to find a better way in that moment to differentiate. Bullet Girl, that one just felt far too on the nose for me. Just, just all have know, the same I jacket. Just, just all have her hair is enough. Just have the same jacket. I mean, I go back to I understand what the costumer I think was trying to do, but I agree like it's a bit much, you know. Right? It's so too my, obvious. Part of it is that you're not meant to notice it until you notice it. And once right. you notice it, you can't unnotice it, but you're not like meant to like each individual moment you're meant to see, but you're not meant to connect yeah. it to a theme right away, I don't think. I don't know. Well, the, my, the my thing just, is, what? yeah, if it takes you out of the show, it's bad, right? If it doesn't add to the show, it detracts from it, right? Uh, the, uh, the only other thing I would add to the show or change, and it definitely would be an ad, uh, would be John Jay. I need some John Jay right, yeah. in this musical. He could be at the wedding. We put Burr there. We could get John Jay there. You know, I think right. when we see John Jay on stage, it's during nonstop talking about the Federalist Papers. And it's an ensemble member. Probably. Uh, and I believe Madison is just a chair, but John Jay is an actor standing by a chair. Um, We've got to have some more love for John Jay and Henry Knox. Pour one out. <laughs> oh, yeah, Nathaniel Green, too. Nathaniel Green needs some love. He I mean, tried well, like, to hire not going to be their secretary. Exactly. Tried to hire this guy. I mean, he just wanted to be a secretary yeah. for Washington. What a, what a loser. I would change any reference to the word pen. I think it happens twice. I'm trying mm -hmm. to stick to Act 1. There are a few references to the word pen. That's never vibed with me. I don't know. Yeah, if, bug, if you brought that up before. It really bugs you. That it's not Quill. Always bugs me. Yeah. It's just that Hamilton does such a good job. Like, later in Act 2, we're going to get, like, tell your husband's vote for Burr. Does such a good mm -hmm. job with the dialogue of putting you into the time frame that Hamilton is at. Right? Like, battalion and flotilla is a fun debate we have. But both of those words, if you don't know anything about the time, sound roughly timey to that time. They even both if work still, fine. Yeah. Yeah. Even if they're still words that get used now, they sound like they were around then as well. But pen, it just sounds like something that was not around then. When they go mm -hmm. out of their way to like tell your husband's vote for Burr, like Lynn Manuel does a good job putting you into the time frame. That always takes me out of it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'd change that for sure. Yeah. I mean, we do get, you know, lines like Hamilton's skill with the quill is undeniable, but when they, oh, you, you know, that, I, I know we get that. I know you're, I know you're, we get you're it. saying if you're going to do that, do why it. don't you do it all the time? I get it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I, I think so that's I would my change. Also slightly change. I think I would slightly change the first introduction we get. I want to say it's at the beginning of the sky. No, it's at the beginning of helpless. I know you brought it up. The or is it when I can't remember exactly what the which song is the beginning of when they're like so many people to deflower or whatever. I think I'd mm -hmm. slightly change. I think I get what they're going for. 
I think I would slightly change that up a bit in general. Just some, that introduction, it feels a little bit clunky just to go out of the way, out of the way to be like, yeah, these three are like being assholes right now. And I get what mm-hmm. they're going for. I think the deflowering part of it, it just seems weird to me. Yeah. Like it, it just seems out of place to me, like an unnecessary, just like, oh, these guys are really assholes. Like, I don't know. Yeah. It's bothersome, right? You know, like you're, uh, you're meant to understand that Hamilton and Burr have something in common in that they're both horn dogs. Like that's the meaning there, but it has not, it's part of the show that has not lasted well. It has some serious Barney Stinson energy that bothers me. You know, I'm not too worried about the, whether it ages well or not. Cause I think like it's a musical about, a time that generally doesn't age well. It just feels out of place. Like we're meant to understand these guys as at least relatively respectful members of, and now I think, I think I'm drawing the distinction between going into the winter's ball and then just generally talking about ladies. But in my mm-hmm. head, they correlate. It's like these, like we're meant to understand these guys are not the type of people to go like in a time where virginity is very important to go into a winter's ball full of important people. And like, I don't know. I just, it just, the way it correlates to me, I'm not worried about the aging well part of it so much because a lot of that time period doesn't age well in general. And that's certainly a part of the time period for sure. It's more that it just feels like a clunky way to get Burr and Hamilton to have things in common. All right. A couple things. My, my aging comment is the first time in, in my view, the first time you experience the show, it doesn't hit as hard. The more you experience the show, it's like, oh, that's, yeah, it's just about going and taking people's virginity. Oh, that's so bad. you mean aging I mean, well and like your... I your guess, yeah. viewership. I don't mean like from when the show was published right. to now in 2021. I mean like with your, like you as a person watching the show. The second part is that's my bad. I misunderstood that. Sorry. No, I I misrepresented. It's all good because that age the the aging well phraseology is commonly used for things that like you know are like you you couldn't you couldn't make this episode of Family Guy today. Um, is is the way it's usually used. The second part about them being about it being clunky. I consider that to be a feature, not a bug, because. I consider all of this early period of we're both reliable with the ladies and uh, Martha Washington named this Tomcat after him. And if the Tomcat kid can marry and there are so many to like all of that, I think that that is an intentional expression of all of these guys lack of a certain amount of nobility. And it's also it's also period accurate because virginity was important for the women to have. But it didn't matter for shit how many people you took their virginity from if you were a man. Right. So part part of getting into that number. Is discussing the imbalance of power between the sexes. Because men's morality was not judged anywhere as harshly as women's morality. And 
you can make the argument that you got to get into the headspace a little bit and you have to understand that that's what the song and maybe maybe the song doesn't do enough to say that on the surface and maybe i'm giving it too much credit but that's what i that's what i at least hear in those words right i hear the show saying the protagonist hamilton loves burr and burr gets to brag about deflowering people that's just where we are in history. So for me, that is setting the stage for us to understand the circumstances that Angelica, Peggy, and Eliza are living under. It's like a contextual thing so we can understand what they're up against. And so we can understand how intelligent these women are for just having to navigate the world with these frat guys that we're then taught in third grade wrote the constitution when really they're just washed up Sigma Chi's that, you know, eventually gave birth to America somehow. Like, I think that's what the point is there, but that's just me. Right. I don't think it, I, I understand everything you're saying. I don't think it changes for me that something there could be tweaked. I'm not sure what it is exactly that I'm changing in this hypothetical situation. Mm-hmm. That specific, maybe it's that I, just as a viewer, have a hard time not correlating all of these things together. Because they are separate mm-hmm. moments. Mm-hmm. Like when they're talking about this, then the winter's ball, then helpless, then satisfied. This covers a period of time Right. These characters do not act the same around the Skylers than they do to just your ordinary, like, random woman they'd come by on the streets. Like, that's all. There's just something in the progression of that to me that I have a hard time not just dumping it all together. So there's something in there that I don't know what it is, but there's something in there to break it up a little bit where I can more easily understand how everyone is acting regard, like, how everyone is acting towards women depending on who that woman is, like the Skylers mm-hmm. will get treated differently than just ordinary women. And I feel like the, like, I feel like there's something there that just doesn't work for me. If that's like, it's very minor. There's just something in that whole bit that just, it, it makes it hard not to just correlate it all together when it's meant to be a bunch of separate moments. I don't know. I think they're meant to be connected. I think I think they are meant to be connected. I think I think it's all it's all in one. It's all a through line. It's about maybe we're just we have to we have to we have to agree on this one. We have to understand how these guys think about women, right? First, we have to understand why they're you know good, bad, wrong, correct, incorrect, all of that. We have to understand how they think about women before we watch them interact with women. Because we have to see how their philosophy plays out. You know what I out. think my issue is? You know what I... Th- I'm trying to pinpoint my issue. You know what I think my issue is? I think is that you get the impression that through all of the so many women to deflower comments, ah, these, are, these, are, these are lads, they're womanizers a little bit. Like, they're, they're gonna... Like, virginity is important, but again, not to them. I think my mm-hmm. issue is, like, then it cuts to Burr and, like, he finds Theodosia and it was all of a sudden, like, a really loving, doving, caring... Like, you don't... You learn that about them, and then the first girl Hamilton interacts with, he ends up marrying, and they have their relationship until Act 2. The first girl, Burr, like, you learn this about them, and then they go to the ball, and from the ball onward, 
they're just in love with the first person that they interacted with. And that is, I don't know, it's just, I don't, there's something in there and it's very minor that just doesn't quite click for me. And I'm no, not, we I'm, talked, we talked about this before. I think it's a front from Burr. Him talking about this sure, and him, <laughs> I, the, we talked about this on a previous episode and how he deals with Angelica. It's him covering up the fact that he already has Theodosia. Like sure, this is right. Maybe this I'm just is misrepresenting the, our conversations. This is the social construct. This is what's expected of Burr, right? And he is not going to go against the expectation. He's gonna he's gonna wait it out. He's gonna see which way the wind's gonna blow. And you expect me to be a hound dog? Well, guess what? I am Aaron Burr, and I am here to chase your female hound dogs but also like they he was a bit of a lothario like he was really charming like he was you know but but also that's how i see him presented in the show like he has to be he has to be possessing a certain amount of libido so that him having a committed romantic partner is an actual reveal like him him throwing his neck out for Theodosia is more of a surprise if originally he was just going down the corner to find whomever he could find, right? Like that's that's more, you know, that's more impactful if it's a head fake. And that's something that is consistent within Act One of Hamilton. You know, Hercules Mulligan is just a tailor's apprentice. Burr is just a bird dog and Hamilton is the same way. Um, he's the one that actually lives up to that ex- expectation. Burr was doing it to be disingenuous right. and fake us out. Right. Because he couldn't, because right. it's illegal. What Burr's engaged with is illegal. What's the best cover story for being awesome. actually in love? What's the best cover story for that? pretending to be interested in every woman you come across. Right. And I I do want to point out everything you said is correct. I have moderately forgotten the conversations we've had in the past. Like for (laughs) listeners, you have to understand like this is like two months ago now that this happened. Like it takes a, like this is not like a recent conversation, but also I'm like, I'm just trying to, for the, the, it's a hypothetical question I'm trying to like nitpick for. When we did the episodes, I wasn't changing any of this. It's just like, I'm trying to find, like, I'm in charge of Hamilton and I have to make changes. This is an area I'm looking at as like area that I think changes could be made to improve a little bit. Like I don't, I, this isn't something I pay, like, this part sucks and I don't understand it. It's that if I have to pick things to change in this hypoth- hypothetical situation and I have no choice but to pick things to change, I think this part could be changed and not take away from the musical at all. I think the way this all connects a little bit could be changed and not take away anything. Not that I would, not that I would prefer if the musical was different than it is. If that distinction is making sense. It's, it's approaching making sense. I'd be interested to see how you would change right. it. Like how, <laughs> how you'd massage it a little because the way it is now. I a I'm... PowerPoint. Oh, I'd like that. You don't have to agree with my pick. I, I'm going to write you a PowerPoint, like a 10-step a PowerPoint presentation on what I would Yeah, change. give me the... It's just the first g- area I would 
Maybe, maybe I'll go in to try and change it and end up loving it. It's just the, one of the first areas I would look at if yeah. I had to change things. No, I, right. I, I know I don't have to agree. That's one of my favorite things about talking. I mean, the, mo- the, the most interesting thing for the both of us is when we disagree, you know? That being said, uh, I look forward to your presentation. And uh, I've got a, uh, I've got a, <laughs> I, I've got a sticker ready for you. It's one of those scratch and sniffs. It says "Great job!" And if you you scratch it, it smells oh, cool. like great. Good job, good job. Yeah, yeah. It says "Great job." Yeah. So, right. so you know, impress me. You'll get a sticker. I'll I'll ship it to you from Georgia to BC. <laughs> anyway. All right. We have about an hour left. We have about an hour left in this podcast. We still have a whole thing to get through with emails and stuff. So, listeners, why don't you let us know in email form or through tweets what you would change if you had to change things in Act 1 of Hamilton, and we will be right back with you to get into some listener feedback. And we are back. One of the reasons we wanted to close with our listener questions and responses is because of how grateful we both are for all of the feedback and questions we received. And I got a Discord message from Bradley recently that was just, dude, I am forwarding you this email that I just got. I need you to read this immediately. I am looking forward to discussing this. Like, let's go. And I'm paraphrasing, but the thing is, like, we got we got a lot of great feedback, and we're both very grateful. So, not going to mention everybody by name because didn't expressly like ask for permission for that, and I don't, you know, want to overstep. Yeah, some of the feedback that, we got you know? from people IRL that we just didn't know if they want to be mentioned. I don't know. Right. So, so if we don't mention your name, like, please don't, please don't take it as an insult. But like, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna take this, you know. Uh, take this easy and and err on the side of caution, right? Not to like accidentally dock somebody or whatever. Right, it's but, better to be cautious with identities than not. Yeah, exactly. So, but we're, but I myself, I want to start with some of these thoughts that Bradley got and shared with me, and I, I and we want to discuss a listener's uh, opinion of or, or wrestling with, not so much an opinion, but wrestling with angelica dealing with hamilton and when when angelica meets hamilton seeming to seeming to be resistant to him at first but then quickly uh being overcome by him in a way um so where is uh so let's see see if i can find the direct quote here I did all this work to put the quotes in the doc, and that's the quote we forgot. Because the one about Eliza's right underneath it, but the one where now, Angelica now is not there. I can't fucking find it. <laughs> you're you're gonna have to edit around this. Shit. Uh, I'm <clears> keeping <throat> I'm keeping it in. I have I have it here. Like I really liked your take on satisfied. It cleared up some of my questions. Is that the one you're looking for? Oh, I found it. Yeah. Oh, you got it. You got it. <clears throat> we're we're good. Uh, all right. Uh, let's see here. good luck editing this um all right so just uh okay so going to the quote from this email 
I really liked your take on Satisfied. It cleared up some of my questions about Angelica switching tunes. Excuse the pun. I'm not going to excuse the pun, by the way. It's a great pun. When <laughs> Hamilton first, as you pointed out very brazenly, just rocks up and says, you strike me as a woman who has never been satisfied. I never took this sexually until you mentioned it, but both meanings make sense. Angelica looks kind of offended and says, I'm sure I don't know what you mean. You forget yourself. Kind of denying it a very polite fuck off. But when he responds, and the writer here is using he to mean Hamilton, uh, you're like me, she immediately switches back and is very intrigued. Is that right? Hamilton finishes with, I'm never satisfied. Angelica is totally into him by that point. So I think that I understand the confusion here because, or the frustration, right? Because it does seem like if you're looking at it on one level, Angelica is a bit schizophrenic or flighty. She's kind of bipolar, like she's flighty. She, you don't know like where she is actually. You know, she seems to, to kind of be wishy-washy on what she's looking for from this person talking to her. Now, that is, in my opinion, a very understandable first-glance reading of this environment. So that's, that's the surface level. I want to unpack it just a little bit. I think that this moment and Angelica's changing her tune quickly with Hamilton I think that it is a feature, not a bug. So, number one, I put forward that she is using this conversational sparring as a test of Hamilton to try to see if he is worthy of talking to her. And in a way, it's kind of a mating ritual. It's trying to figure out, like, does he have the intellectual prowess to actually deal with her? This is a test, which he passes. Number two, he doubles down. He sees this is a test. Not only am I going to pass your test, but I'm going to say I know what the test is because we're the same person. You're like me. You're never satisfied. I know you because you are me. We are the same person. And this is a bold move. And he's doubling down saying, I am going to go out of my way to challenge this woman because she's challenging me. I'm not just going to meet her challenge. I'm going to challenge her. This is the move that really impresses her. This is what makes Angelica flip the script so quickly. This is what enables her to be so close to Hamilton immediately. It does give you whiplash because she does change her tune rapidly right but now she's accepting of him it's not that it's not that she's flighty or indecisive she knows exactly what she wants we have seen people try to pick her up previously we've seen aaron burr sir tell her that her perfume smells like her daddy's got money she doesn't care about that she cares about someone that can challenge her mentally and this moment is not saying that Angelica is confused or flighty. This moment is saying this is how erudite and impressive Hamilton is because he can attract even someone like Angelica, right? We ah. already know what she's looking for. She's looking for someone smart. She's looking for new ideas in the air, and he presents them. So 
that's that's my Hamilton counseling. I hope it helps. What do you what do you think, bud? Um, I'm gonna circle back to my analysis the first time. Um, I don't remember exactly what I said, but I feel the exact same about it, and I remember mostly what I said at the time. That switch is so important. That switch is so important because that's also just I love bringing up that first Burr attempt because what a fucking mess. Like, come on, come on, Burr. You're you have all of this like you're going out. Yeah, so many women to deflower. Not with that strategy. Come on, dude. Oh, anyways. Um, it's just, it's such a bad, with her sisters right there. Oh man. Okay. Anyways, um, there, that flip is so important. It's similar to the flip in just the facial expression of Hamilton when he's walking with Eliza in nonstop or walking with Angelica, sorry. And Angelica says she has a husband. Hamilton doesn't care when Angelica leaves or that she's going to London or whatever. He doesn't care about any of that. It's when she has a husband that he, that little facial expression tells you everything you need to know. Angelica has that game recognizes game moment, right? Because she she is just like, yeah, this guy, whatever. And then he pops in and goes like, you're like me. I'm never satisfied. And she's like, oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This guy is a right. Like that. that is definitely the point. I think noticing that is important. I think you're if you don't notice that, I think you're missing what it's trying to tell you there that angelica is being a little defensive and standoffish and whatever and then as soon as she recognizes that that game is equal to her then she starts having those regrets like in like insatisfied we get to the the regret part of this but yeah angelica going like flipping on a dime there and being like oh you're you're on my level like we we are we are on the same level here and i i that moment is very important and i think that switch is very important. I don't think that works if it's not a quick flip. I think that that quick kind of flipping a light on and off type of thing is, is is what makes that work for me. Yeah. And it also helps to contrast his relationship with Eliza, right? Which also comes up in listener feedback here. You know, uh, his, his relationship with Angelica is fast, turning on a dime. There's switchbacks. There's quick reversals. There's, we're reacting to to each other impulsively and energetically. And with Eliza, there's courtship. It takes time, you know? And, and, and that contrast between those two relationships is really, really sweet in the show. I mean, just seeing how he had these two very different relationships with these two very different women, even though they're related, the relationships are very different, is a nice touch, in my humble opinion. Absolutely. Wait, is there anything else we're meant to, to kind of discuss with that? Or is it just kind of our take on that? Lord, I think I monologued enough about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I just think that the quick flip is important. And I think that's it's the game recognizes game moment where Angelica is like, oh, I get I get what's happening here now. Like mm-hmm. we're on the same level. And I wish that I if I were I wish that I had the same opportunity afforded to me as you're going to get because you're a man. Like that's when that whole thing starts. And I, I think that's important there. Mm-hmm. I, I really do love that this listener is is calling out that they were intrigued or surprised by Angelica's turn so fast. And it does make me wonder if there's something in the writing or the performance that could communicate what happens in that moment better than what they do. I don't know if there is, right? I think it's just when you're... 
abbreviating things for the stage, you know, when you're truncating relationships down into seconds of time when in reality those relationships lasted days, weeks, months, years, when you're abbreviating for the stage, I think that you always run the risk of things getting lost in translation for different audience members, right? I don't know if they could have done better, but I, I like I really do get this curiosity, this finding this moment to be so interesting. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I would just close with I totally get it being a challenging moment, um, but I also consider it a feature, not a bug. Like I just, yeah. Yeah. I I don't know. I just I I see it as um I th I think it's really worth this question made me like really re-examine that moment and and really re-examine Renee's performance in that moment. And like could is there is there any way to portray her conversion to being all in Hamilton's camp? Is there any way to to convey that better. I'm not convinced there is. I I, I, I think personally maybe. it's perfect. I love it. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't change it at all. I think I, I it's not something that I felt was awkward or clunky or anything the first time when I was watching it live and you're trying to figure everything out. I think it I think I think the way it's done conveys something so specifically important to that relationship that changing it loses what's so specifically important about it. And I, I just love it the way it is. So I personally yeah. wouldn't go after changing that, I don't think. I subjectively love it the way it is, absolutely. I just objectively wonder if like there's a better storytelling mechanic in that moment. I don't I don't know if there is or not. It's just something that I I was moved to ponder by this excellent point brought up in this email. Absolutely. Speaking of this email, we could keep going through it if you want. Absolutely. That's a double absolutely. I need to find more words. I need to find I need more to, words to use. I was told by another listener that I need to find a new... I'm interested to hear what you f feel or think about insert subject here. Apparently, we both have our tricks that we... Oh, that we just can't let go of. Uh -huh, just uh -huh. saying. Although I've I've already pointed out to you that yours is oh one hundred percent one hundred percent dude oh me all right anyway moving on uh, shall I keep carrying the torch here is let's, that cool with you yeah let's keep going so uh, this letter writer says I wrote Eliza love letters until she fell that last bit is kind of sus to me. It's interesting that he's saying until she fell as if she wasn't already in love with him. But that seems to be just another unreliable narrator situation. It just seems to come across as him having to get her to fall for him by doing what he does best. Words. But not because he loves her and wants to and wants it to go naturally. So I've got my thoughts. I am locked and loaded. I, I I teed off first on the last one. Do you want to open uh, up on this one? Let's rock and roll. Okay, so this whole meeting with I should have said 100 percent I can't believe I didn't get that fun <laughs> opportunity. <laughs> this is one of those things where I just don't remember what I said at the time because it was like two months ago. 
and mm-hmm. things evolve. And I've watched Hamilton like three full times at least since we started doing this podcast. Plus, whatever I do just to re- research for this. This whole meeting with Hamilton, I think for Hamilton, I don't think it's suspicious. Like that last bit is kind of sus to me. I think that's the point. I think for me, I've always felt that Hamilton goes into it like the station of marrying a Skylar. Like he says, is it a question of if Burr or which one? To me, that stands out way more than the love letters until she fell in Hurricane as the suspicious line. <laughs> like the, the, the line we're referencing is in Act 2. I think the more suspicious line is in Act 1. And I think it's that moment where it's like, it's not a question of if Burr, but which one. Hamilton wants the station. He wants to rise up. That's this whole thing of what he's doing. And the fact that he finds someone so loving, so caring, someone that at least up until act two, you can say that he, he genuinely, at the very least cares about and loves and respects. Um, I think that, I think that, I think that that is how it happens. I don't think he's going in it purely for love or anything. I think he's going in it for the marrying of a Skylar and just what doesn't matter which one. And then from there, he gets really lucky in the situation that he ends up in. But I think, I think if I had to pick a percentage, it's like 80% going in for the Skylar part and 20% going in to find love and all of that, all the rest of the romantic stuff. He's a pragmatic dude who has a, he's a pragmatic dude who we've both assigned as a Slytherin. He has, he has ambitions that he needs to meet. And marrying a Skylar helps him get there. And the fact that he ends up with someone as lovely as Eliza is is lucky for him. But I don't think that was what he was going for. I love that act one of this musical really does let us make that decision for ourselves on an individual basis. You know, everything that that you just talked about. Because we see him so happy with her. We see him really love her. But there is that line that that will like always it just is when whenever i think about them like it really does become relevant uh elizabeth schuyler schuyler my sister like on the one hand it's oh i met you she's got the same last name what's your religion what's your relationship i'm just clarifying but then you can take it to that more slytherin more that 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 more self-preserving place. Oh, is she is she also a Skylar? If so, if so, I'm good. I just I just need a Skylar. I don't care. Like w- w- either one of you will do. We brought you that know? up. I remember bringing that yeah. up. Like when he like the Skylar where he like pulls his hair behind his ear. He's like, oh, a Skylar. Oh, yeah. Oh, how yeah. lucky am I getting that this Skylar's? And I have two. I know two Skylar's now. I came mm-hmm. in knowing no Skylar's. Now I know two. And in this musical, there's only three. And I'm about to meet Peggy, so this is awesome. Yeah. And yeah. I'm going to do everything I can to keep both of them on the <laughs> right? hook for I, as long as I can, right? right? And I'm going to do everything possible to marry one and keep the other <laughs> close by. We need the backup Skylar. This is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly how I feel about it, for sure. Yeah. I never thought now, about the backup Skylar part of it, but... <laughs> I mean, he really did. Like, I, I really do think that that's part of what influences my opinion of his heartbreak when Angelica admits that she's getting married later in the show. He thought, you know, you you always got to have an exit strategy, Skylar, you know, um, <laughs> which I think I, I think is the the. The, the, the best sunny day real estate album never made. Um, but like he, he really did 
have a relationship with her that endured after marrying Eliza. So there, there is, there is some kind of interesting suspect stuff here, but I do, I, I do think that there's, there's proof that he loved Eliza wholeheartedly, even if he went into it just playing, you know, everyone's favorite game during the revolution bag of Skyler. You know, like I, this whole time I've been imagining like a, a in emergency break glass, and there's like a uh-huh. Skylar Funko Pop in there. <laughs> like, oh, we, gotta, we need the emergency. Yeah, I think I think the fact that he ends up with Eliza and genuinely loves her and all of that stuff is great. I just don't think that's what he was going for in the beginning. Mm-hmm. I think he finds it. I don't think it like he gets pretty vulnerable pretty quick. Like in the show timeline, it's only a couple weeks between when they meet and when they get married and all that, or at least it's how it feels. It might be longer, but it feels like pretty quick. And so he has these moments where he is like, I don't have a dollar to my name in Acre Land, a troop to command a dollop of fame. Like he gets pretty invested in that emotionally pretty quickly. And I just don't think like at the very beginning that's what he's going for. Now, how does this jive though with what our letter writer goes on to share with us, right? Uh, How he, later on in the show, we learn how he dealt with her, how he courted her. You and your words flooded my senses. Your sentences left me defenseless. You built me palaces out of paragraphs. You built cathedrals. You see, I can't even, I can't say it without singing it. But (laughs) there's, there is a, first of all, honest appreciation just for the writing here, which I appreciate. The whole line is insane. I love it. My God, I agree. It's very good. Uh, they go on to write, now to the point. Your sentences left me defenseless suggest that at least in hindsight, some part of her was at least a little wary to begin with, even though she was totally in love with him. All of which suggests he kind of bamboozled her with his eloquence and awesomeness with words. And it's kind of unclear how genuine it all was on his side. So what's interesting to me, first of all, is that everything that I just read from our listener, I feel is true. And both of us can agree with all of it and disagree with it all, all at the same time. But there's there's so much that the show, I think, leaves for you to figure out on your own. You know, my take is that he was he was genuinely in love, but there's so much about his needing to hashtag bag a Skyler that that's a legitimate view of the show as well. I think there's two I have two things to say. I think from the first part of that, like you just in, in order in the musical. In act one, the part in act one of that is that he's writing the letters to her, like courting her and all that. And that's what happens in act one. I, I still think it's just both. I think this is a guy that in the show we know is capable of courting whoever he wants via writing. Like he is, if he's got a quill, he's got a pen, he's a threat, which, you know, mm-hmm. I get the word pen out of here, but whatever. Yeah, I know. Right? Like I know. this guy is capable <laughs> of it. So I think I, I still attribute all of the mixed emotions to that. I think. I think I think genuinely does like her, but genuinely wants to marry a Skylar. And I don't even think that's probably uncommon for the time. I don't think he's a particularly bad person because of this. I think it's fairly common in that time to marry for status, wealth, things that aren't love. 
Right. There's also like dowries and stuff that don't get discussed. Like we're still in the, the age of dowries and whatnot, where people would sell off their daughters for the money or would where people would marry. Sorry, where people would marry into a family that had a large dowry, where the daughter came with a large dowry of money like that's a that's a concern it's not just all about love so i think for the time hamilton's not even acting out of line right and i also think when eliza is, is talking about the the letters left me defenseless or sentences left me defenseless and paragraphs and cathedrals and whatnot like she had just been cheated on or just found out about the reference reynolds pamphlet super easy to look back on where you went wrong when that just happened to you i don't think eliza questions it until this moment and like, I don't think she's spending the whole time wondering, oh, should I have done this? And then, yes, like that confirms it for her. I think once you've just found out about the Reynolds pamphlet, that is the time where you're going to be a little introspective about where things went wrong. So I think it matches, but I don't attribute it to any other moment than just that one. I agree with you very much. And I will add to that. I think specifically that the defenseless word there the use of that in the lyric i think that that's a reference back to helpless i think that that speaks to what you've said previously about you know you assume that helpless is a bad thing but in this instance it's kind of a romantic thing right uh so like that's that's kind of a, a reference back to their romance uh, uh previously and additionally just the idea of writing people until they fall you know until they fell like when she's talking about that well they had a long courtship that was the convention of the day uh calling back to your discussion of period dating conventions and also it's just hamilton's a writer it's what he does it's what he's gonna do i think in this moment it's important for us to discuss how he wrote to her and contrast it to how he wrote to and about Mariah Reynolds. You know, I don't I don't think there's an implication here that he bamboozled her. I don't right? think so I think, either. I think that that his relationship with Eliza ironically because he ends up cheating on her when he's when she is on vacation with her father he his relationship with her is one of the purest of his life, right? And, you know, circling back to our discussion about these characters living in the gray. But uh, she loved having him as hers, and he loved having her as his. It just went wrong when Mariah Reynolds walked into his life, you know? Um, I think it's tragic this situation but i don't see any bamboozlement is i, I guess don't see my, any bamboozlement take yeah and i don't want to get too into it because a lot of this requires act two dissecting that i really want to save for act two i will stick with i don't see any bamboozlement when all of this situation unfolds in act two i have lots of thoughts on it i'm sure um i'm sure we all do and it'll be super controversial and it'll be great Right, a very Ross and Rachel, mm. like we're, I'm sure mm -hmm. a Ross and Rachel were they on a break type thing. Not the same situation, <laughs> like that kind of argument will ensue about exactly how at fault Hamilton is here. Um, but until we get to the point, I don't see any bamboozlement and I do think Hamilton genuinely loved her, but that came secondary to marrying her for being a Skylar. And hey, if you can get both, that's great. Yeah, 
But I, mean, I, I do uh, want to point out that I don't think Hamilton's a particularly bad guy for focusing on things that aren't love because I think that was a, the convention of the day. I think there's money involved, there's status involved, and those are all things that were involved for everybody, not just Hamilton. And so I think I don't attribute him wanting to go for the status pick as badly as I would if this was happening in 2021, if that's making sense. It is making sense because when you're dealing with historical content, right, even if it is a fictional drama like a musical, you're going to make more accurate assessments of these characters if you're looking at them through the lens of the time in which they are set. If you look at all of these characters through our modern lens, they're all demons, all of them. If you look at these people through our modern lens, they're all canceled, you know? Oh, absolutely. They're all canceled. You know? They're all deplatformed. But, but, but there is there is an assumed value structure to period pieces. Rightly or wrongly, that's the truth to, to literary analysis. I mean, uh, the they're doing the best they can. Uh, when we talk about there's so many to deflower, uh, Burr, you know, we, we criticize that moment. Burr's a little rapey. And when we assign the value lens of the period at that time, we still say that's a little bad, you know, like even, even in the context of that society, that's not great. That's not great at all. But in terms of looks, proximity to power, marrying up and the Schuyler sisters being what they are, you can understand like status is something that Hamilton wants, right? But yeah. I really, I, I, I really do. I love and agree with your position. You're championing the position that both are true. Hamilton can initially want to elevate his status because we've d discussed that. I don't know how long, right? Like we know he wants to do that. He can both want to elevate his status and fall in love with his wife. Both can be true. Yeah, the, the two things that people really struggle with generally in society nowadays is that like most of life happens in the gray, which I'll keep saying. There are no purely good people or purely bad people. There are some people closer to black and closer to white for sure, but almost all of life happens somewhere in the gray. And then two things can be true at the same time. Multiple things can be true at the same time, such as wanting to marry your wife for status, money, uh, whatever, but also falling in love with her. Both of those things can happen, and it can be a happy accident. Like, it doesn't have to be one or the other. Yeah. I couldn't right. agree more. I mean, I really couldn't. <laughs> All right. Are we ready? Uh, we have about half an hour to 45 minutes left. We still have so much to discuss. Classic us. Are we ready to move on to what the life is like behind the set for everyone that's not the actors? Because I you, feel like we've got... I feel like we've got to, or we won't. Your answer <laughs> is freestyle, motherfucker. So I'm excited. Well, yeah. I mean, I didn't, I, I didn't know what else to put here, just because I feel like this is, it's, it, it's easiest just to talk about it, instead of listing things. So the question is, we've heard a lot about the lives and choices of the actors while they are on stage, as well as how the design elements impact the show. Can you run us through what the backstage life looks like for the actors, flies, techs, deck crew, ASMs, dressers, spot ops, 
board ops, stage manager, etc. Basically, what does it take to make this show actually happen in real time? So first of all, when you read this question, when you hear this question, you first of all know that this person is in the industry, right? Because they're calling out so many different people on the crew, right? And and and, and correctly, Bradley, they are they're calling us out for people on the show that we haven't really talked about before. <laughs> which I appreciate, you know? I want to be clear, if I haven't talked about a person, I don't think I know who like like if i haven't talked about them it's because i don't know they exist all right i didn't know until i started doing this podcast that the person who does the microphones like that's a separate like obviously i could have intuited that's a separate job but that they have little pages that they follow and it's just like a script like anything else and they don't like manually move all the mics up and down they have preset channels and they have to click the channels as they go through the like that stuff I learned doing this podcast. So if I haven't mentioned that there's some weird, obscure job for the dude who polishes the table that Bird jumps off, it's because I don't know that that's a job. I apologize. Also, when I do talk about things I don't know about, I get in trouble, like the king's costume comment. So I'm actively trying not to talk about things that I don't know about. Sorry, I just rant over. So that- I just need to say that. No, I think it was worth saying, absolutely. But that being said, I mean, that's the, I think one of the benefits of doing a show like this is that we do get to explore and learn things to both of us, right? So all of that being said, you know, not addressing the jobs that these people have done, you know, that's on me less so, I mean, more so than Bradley, right? I'm saying like my job is to champion the people doing the show and I have failed this listener, and I apologize. So I will. So first of all, let's talk about the 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 backstage life of the actors. That's the first up. So I think it's worth pointing out that the actors don't spend a lot of time backstage. It doesn't seem like to me. You know what I mean? Because we talk about like how often the ensemble is on stage. Uh. It seems to me like the actors, if they are spending a decent amount of time backstage, it's getting their next costume piece or it's getting their next prop. I don't think that anybody has a real break except for Hamilton or King George. You know, everybody else seems very, very active even when they're backstage. Um, The fly operators... Uh, I'm going to hazard a guess. They've got the best job on this show, and they probably double up with deck ops. I assume that deck ops and the fly ops are the same crew, right? Because there's only a few fly moves in this show. Uh, My beloved lanterns, right? Um, they They don't really move a lot, so I assume that deck ops and flies are the same crew. I don't have a program in front of me, so I don't know. Um, and, uh, ASMs, I assume you have two, one right, one left, uh, interfacing with the dressers, uh, and. All right, can we pause, part- time out, I'm calling yeah, a timeout. Yeah, sure, out. yeah, yeah, what's up, what's up? Out. What the fuck is an ASM? And I'm assuming a dresser is the person who helps characters change costumes, pin microphones, that type of thing. That's a, so that's an excellent timeout. Thank or is you. that and- like a set, are we talking set dressers versus like cost? I don't even know what's happening. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so sorry. Yeah, please. Like, uh, <laughs> this is this is the problem for for uh, for us t- turning our cameras off. I can't I can't tell when you're glazing out at this point. So the <laughs> so the ASM. So that is an assistant stage manager. And oh, I could have figured that out. So for a musical this size, my assumption is you have uh, one associate stage manager and at least one assistant stage manager. All right. And I assume you have one stage left and one stage right. And usually what what they are doing, okay, while the stage manager is either in a loft in the wings or is in the booth front of house, they're calling the show, meaning they're making all of the scenic moves happen, right? Um, the ASMs, either associate and or assistant, right, or both, um, they are backstage coordinating things that are not audible calls from the stage manager. Sometimes this is just hurting people uh, and, and just getting people where they need to be. Sometimes it's relaying calls from the production stage manager. Dressers are specifically costumers. So they are, they're getting people in and out of costume pieces and their uh and their hair and makeup right which is abbreviated to hmu and sometimes on a large show hmu is a different crew from dressers if you're lucky if you're lucky to have that level of personnel now what you were asking about the set dressing that would that would be yeah 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 no worries so that's what that's what i was trying to answer that would be uh, under a different crew, that's deck ops or stagehands, right? right? Okay. So that's anything that happens on zero falls under the purview of the actual run crew. This, like this, this for some reason, this is the team on the show. The nomenclature changes like as you go from house to house. Deck ops, stage ops, uh, run crew, stagehands. Um, if you're film and TV, this is your grips. I know what right? grips are. Okay, I, I'm familiar with grips. I did a lot of acting as a kid, just not theater stuff. So I know yeah. what grips are. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I can I can reference it as grips. That works for me. Y- yeah, these these are the people that touch stuff, right? Um, dressers touch people and clothing. And then your stagehand or your uh or your deck ops, they touch stuff, right? Right. Um now, the interesting thing about Hamilton, because of the turntable, like a lot of stuff when it comes on stage, it rides the turntable on. Um, or actors bring stuff on or off. Uh, interesting trivia. Part of making Hamilton happen and part of the way the show works. Uh, actors, under equity rules are permitted to bring set pieces and props on stage for no added fee if their entrance and exit with those objects can be justified as part of their role. Okay. However... Uh, okay. Yep. Yes. However, if them entering or exiting with that set piece or prop or whatever, if that cannot be justified as part of their normal role, you have to pay them an added fee for acting as a stagehand. Yep, I understand. That sounds complicated. 
That it sounds is. so convoluted. You want to talk about living in the gray, right? So you're you're making this contract negotiation with equity, and you're like, oh no, it's totally part of the character. They right. have to they they have to take this chair away. It's, there's a lot of like there's a lot of that in acting too. Like when I was doing it, you had your minimum fee if you were just a, an extra, right mm-hmm. on the set if you're there. But the second someone can distinctly pick out your face, you are pay like your their minimum fee goes up. Even if you're not even a character in the show, but if you're like in the audience somewhere like let's say the the scene is that you're in the audience and you're watching something happen if the camera if i can watch it and be like that's me like distinctly like that is my face i can see it then you get paid more at least at the time right and so you'd always get into these arguments about whether or not people could see your face whether like Mm -hmm. your face was was blurry enough or far back enough to be not distinguishably your face it was so like i get i i understand how it happens it's just all very semantic to me yeah, you get you really get into the weeds on it fast. I mean, yeah. you really do. Um, so all of that to say, back of house for Hamilton is very very busy. There's a lot going on. Um, I think that you know most of it back of house is getting people their drums or not or not right? drums and putting people in their sleeveless costumes in their sleeveless costumes i mean but there are like there are a lot of significant uh costume changes in hamilton um i think that of all the spectacle of the show i think that the costume design is the most overlooked in my opinion um and and that's part of the the reason i keep evangelizing its brilliance because the the simplicity of it i think is is really really crucial uh and and i think that's why it's successful even when it fails i think its baseline is a success um so but anyway that's back a house right that all of that is to say back a house for hamilton is very very busy just because it's such an energetic show with such momentum now front a house getting to the rest of the question we have the spotlight operators board operators, the stage manager, and then comma, et cetera. So the spot ops, one thing you'll know, and if uh, just uh, quickly for those, anybody listening that's unfamiliar, a spotlight is a movable lighting fixture that can be used to follow a particular former, uh, performer. Um, not all spotlights move, but usually when we, when we talk about the spotlight, right, you assume it's that that big, beautiful white beam from the front of house that can follow someone. Uh, For Hamilton, I think there are three. There might be four. Um, What you notice about Hamilton, if you watch it closely, is that it's very light on front light. There's not a lot of front light, so the the follow spots are doing a lot of work to to pull people out. So there's a lot of spotlight cues in this show. Um, Spotlight operators are very, very busy. Myself as a designer, I like a heavy spotlight show, so it fits in with my aesthetic pretty well. I like it. It's my personal preference. I love it. I love the way the show looks because of that. But it's a lot of work for these operators and the stage manager. I mean, you've got this huge thing that you're moving across the stage trying to follow all these actors, and you're coordinating with the stage manager because oftentimes... Well, or you're coordinating with your spot captain. 
but still you have to understand how your job falls in with the whole show right and in in hamilton there are a lot of moving parts so talking about the board operators the spot operators and the stage manager and i'll pull the link and and uh message it to you bradley but there's a great ham for ham that was put on youtube of the stage manager calling all the cues for i believe it was 10 duel oh cool that would be fun and they yeah, and so they get on the steps outside of the the theater, right? And they do all the cues for the lighting um and the the revolve, the you know, and and usually a show this size, you eventually get to a point where the FOH sound op is going to be taking their cues on their own just because they're listening to the show. They need to have an ear to the acoustics in the room. They may or may not be following the stage manager. That eventually kind of gets down to individual preference show by show, right? But this this ham for ham performance on uh, we actually have a, a we have an annual stage manager's appreciation day, which I think is pretty neat. I have the ham for ham on. I have found the YouTube video. So I'll oh, you found it, just, it already? I'll watch it just after this. Yeah, yeah. Dude, you're you're gonna love it, right? Because you're you're going to watch them do this and you watch them do the song without the revolve and in your head you'll hear the music you'll hear the show and you will and you'll hear them call the cues and you'll think how like how do you how do you insert all of that into the show and uh it's just something we do you know but hamilton this show is kind of a marvel just because of all of the shit that has to happen front of house for the show to happen on stage. Um, it really is. Uh, it's a great question. I, I hope that I've, I've satisfied it. I guess the, the, the short version is there's a lot of work that goes into this show. Um, if I could pick any job, I'd pick a, 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 a rail operator. I would run the fly for this show in a heartbeat. If there's one job on this crew uh, that I would never run, it would be the FOH sound up because the mic changes in this show have got to be crazy. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm out. I'm out on any of these jobs, really. I don't think I'd particularly be good at any of them. I, aside from my lack of singing, I definitely would be best as one of the actors. Like, to be honest, like, that's where my skill set would be best. Um, but I, I just would not do well at any part of Hamilton. Are you gonna are you gonna put on that fancy king robe? Pick up your uh, your globe and scepter, dude. Put me just you know what? Just put me in as Hamilton. Take take a risk on me, you know. <laughs> just chuck me off the deep end. Just put I can I you know what? With the choreo aside, I can get through like at least the first act music like with like the lyrics and stuff. So I'm already at least I already know part of it. You got to teach me the choreo and how to sing, which is a big lift. For sure, but I at least come with something that I do know. If you put me on like lights or some shit, I'm gonna start a fire. <laughs> right? Like- my thing, my thing is like, I I could not do his entire track through the whole show. I just want to play Charles Lee. Right. I think I could do. I think I could do Hamilton's track through the whole. Oh, like his like the. Are you talking about like the just? Just just Charles Lee's character, Hamilton's like lines throughout the whole musical. 
Yeah, so your so your track is um so like Charles Lee, that's an ensemble member that in one moment of the show plays the character Charles Lee. Right, right? of course. And then goes back to the ensemble. But then goes back to the ensemble. So that actor's actions throughout the entire show, their movements, their costumes, everything that they do, their parts vocally, their entire contribution to the evening, whether they're a character with a capital C or they're an ensemble member with a capital E-M, all of their responsibilities are called their track. Oh, yeah. I couldn't do any of the ensemble tracks. I could probably, yeah, like, yeah. I'm more, I'm most equipped to do Hamilton's track. It would just still a huge lift, but I at least wouldn't light anything on fire. Hamilton, due respect to, to Lynn, right? Hamilton's path through the show might be the easiest. A lot a lot of what you're doing is is standing and rapping. Yeah, give me that. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> All right, are we ready to move on to the next question? Which is a it's a heavy hitter. It's a heavy hitter about people of color and Hamilton and all that. Are we good to go? I am, yeah. Unless do you have any follow-ups from the the crew queue? I, to be uh, honest, not for this podcast. I think I need an eight-hour rundown <laughs> of how the fuck a musical gets made before I can fully understand really what you're saying. But I can distill it down to it's a lot of work to make Hamilton, and everyone works really hard, and they're all jobs that I couldn't do. And I'm very appreciative that all those people that do them exist. Dude, I agree with you. I couldn't do the jobs on Hamilton, and I do different versions of the jobs that they did that make this show. So, like, yeah. <laughs> like it's just, it's another level. Um, so, if we want to, if we want to get on to the to the heavy hitter, we can we can boogie on to it. Right. Let's rock and roll. This so this came from from someone in your life. So maybe you can take it on first, just so I can fully understand the question, and then I can throw my take in. Yeah, so this uh this is from someone uh in in my personal life. Um and and it is uh you know, I I have conversations like this often, right? Which is which is valuable to me. Um and so when I when I asked him like give me a question for the podcast, I he didn't he 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 didn't hold back. <laughs> you know he, when when i asked him for a question he was like okay motherfucker like i'll i'll give you a question um but he specifically asked me about my my talking about hamilton's color and so the question is is the term person of color a culturally defining term or a visually defining term just because hamilton is potentially an octoroon or quadroon does that alone make him a person of color? So first of all, uh, I told, uh, so he and I spoke earlier today, and I told him that you and I were going to do this this afternoon and then get the episode out this week. And then he was like, oh, cool, I've got more stuff to send you. Oh, that might be for so, another one. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, but he sends me, a couple TikToks and a couple Instagrams and like some follow-ups, right? To think about, right? Um, but the thing is, the the short answer is no. The short answer is no, right? And um this is this is gonna be imperfect because it's it's a Canadian white dude and an American white dude talking about the experiences of black people throughout history, 
right? Yeah, so it's not, not. I'm not the right person to fully cover this. Yeah, but look, it is relevant, and so I will try. And I think I, I think it's important that neither of us pretend to be the perfect person to talk about it. But I was asked about my opinion, so I'm going to answer it, right? And so the thing is, the answer is no. What I'm saying is, Hamilton identified himself as a person of color because of his experience growing up in the islands. And that is represented in the show. I mean, when he talks about in in real life, and it, and it's also talked about in the show, I mean, people being sold and bought near him, he was on their level. And as a bastard, not because he was actually an illegitimate child, but because he was the son of a divorcee, which, you know, by the way, if you were the child of a divorcee, you were an illegitimate child because a divorced woman was not considered a fucking woman in this point in history for some reason. Social status was similar to the status of color, especially in colonies, right? And so Hamilton's upbringing was an upbringing of color. A life of color is, is not just the color of your skin. It's the social circumstance that the rest of the world superimposes on top of you because you are a person of color. You know, it's he had an experience of color because the white people around him said, you have to deal with this. We consider you a person of color. And it was, you know, it's unfair of us to draw that line. It's never been right. And I hope at some point it actually ends. I don't, I don't know when it will, but I think that that's one reason the show is important. Because it reminds us that that our founding fathers were not the, the the like wasps we were taught they were when we were in third grade. Like immigrants, we get the job done is a very important line, right? So, long story short, no, he's not. He's not just a person of color. Because of his because of his skin color, it was because of his social situation. Part of that was his income level and his mother's income level. Part of it was his mother's social status. Part of it was his situation on the islands, being the son of a divorcee, and that's why it meant so much that people sent him to New York. Like he actually was a phenomenon. He was rare because of what he achieved right um and i think that it's it's important at least to me right it's important to me that we remember alexander hamilton as alexander hamilton as the uh as the colored like as the um as the as the immigrant descendant of color, of a Scotsman that became an American and defined American, right? 
he defined what it was to be an American patriot. And it's important to remember that that man that did that was a man of color. And most likely a bisexual one at that. You know, let's let's not pretend that all these all these dudes that made America were were anything other than what they were. You know, so no. Uh yes, it is a culture anyway, uh long story short, it is a culturally defining term. It is not just about skin color. That's that's my thoughts. Um, Bradley, what are your thoughts? Yeah, so this question, <laughs> I gotta have two. First off, I agree with everything you said, and I think it's a culturally defining term and not a visually defining term. Now, I will say that if it is a cultural, a culturally defining term and not a visually defining term, then we should probably find a new term for it, right? Person of color to me just describes something visual, right? And then from there, you have an experience, right? The that backstory. I think maybe the term. The term definitely is a cultural term in this case, but I think maybe if it is going to be a cultural term, the, the term isn't really the best term for it. Um, but anyways, what, what was most interesting about this question actually had nothing to do with the question at all. It's more like how I related people of color and Hamilton. I never once thought about Alexander Hamilton until this question as a person of color. I just assumed it was white. I had no idea, right? Because when I watch, I don't know anything about Hamil Alexander Hamilton and until... I watch Hamilton, right? So I don't know anything about the guy other than he exists. And then I watch the, the musical. And when you watch the musical, I've always equated the person of color kind of attribution to the musical as, oh, how powerful is it that all of these people of color are playing all of these asshole white people? Like what a cool inversion of the times that 200 some odd years after this, where slavery was still a thing, the people of color that that would have or could have been slaves are now performing these musicals and being Washington or Jefferson or Hamilton. So I always, until this question, assumed Hamilton was just super white and just not from America because when you get to the musical, he has loads of other like I just I just attributed his plights to other things, right? I never just I never thought of it as like a person of color experience. I just thought of it more as this guy's had it tough. His father's gone. His mom's dead, right? He has no money. Like, I just, he, he has such a shitty situation that I never tried to attribute it to a term. I just like, oh, his situation is shit. I never tried to come up with a term for it. And so I just assumed until this question that he was white and had never once heard before this that anyone thought he wasn't in, like, in real life, like a person of color. So I don't know. Like, it was really interesting to me because I'd never thought about it. Well, and you're not alone in that because he could pass. You know, that's the thing. Like, no one no one knows how, like, exactly what his ethnicity was. No one knows how, uh, how he presented. The thing was he could pass. You know, similarly, no one knows exactly when he was born. There's a discrepancy between a year or two. So there are... You know what I'm looking at? I'm looking at the Wikipedia right now to see like where this idea came from, right? So I can just start working on the source from it just because I, until this question, I'd never heard of it as a, as a thought. And yeah. so it's say born in either 45 or 55 or 57, but definitely not 56. Yeah, that's like... <laughs> like it's weirdly but thing, specific. But the thing is, 
about his about his ethnicity it's also like what they say 54 or 57 but not 50, you know that you can also say he definitely wasn't white like you can definitely say that you know part of his social status was because his mother was divorced and there was a law at the time where if you were a divorced woman you were not allowed to remarry so because he was the child of a single mother he was a bastard so on top of being you know of having black blood in his family which by the way he lived in the caribbean you know like he he just he was he was part of a multi-ethnic culture so it's just yeah just he what he is he he is a person of color it was what he grew up in it was part of his experience you know we just can't say like and i'm i don't i don't want to get into there are there are people that get into you're a person of color if you have x amount of this blood in your body and you're not if you don't have x amount i don't want to get into that right oh yeah i'm not like like i'm not i think what i just said about it is as far as i'm gonna go i don't yeah i'm just saying that that my my education about experiences that are different from my own is that culture and identity are things that you inherit things that that produce you it is a balance of nature and nurture and i'm just saying that even though my understanding is that yes alexander hamilton was genetically a person of color when he was born he also had an experience of color growing up because that was the cultural experience that was superimposed onto people into his circumstance by people that look like us you know that was that was his rearing and i think that it's you know i think that that's represented well in the show um i think that that clearly spoke to lynn Right, because it reminded him of his father's experience. His father moving to New York moved him to write this show. Um, but I think most most importantly, I just think it's imperative that we do not deny these people of their non-white associations. I think it's imperative that we not pretend that America was an all-white experiment. I think that's where, we, that's where we get people like the Oath Keepers and the Three Percenters and the Bass like, and, and the Boogaloos that pretend that America was a strictly Christian, white, Anglo-Saxon experiment. You know? Um, I don't... You know, when I was when I was talking about Hamilton being a person of color, it was it was to point out that immigrants get the job done. And it was to point out that America, when it began, was. It was a melting pot or it was intended to be. You know, so I don't. Definitely not pretending to to give any kind of 
lecture that pretends to be sophisticated on race relations. I'm just saying, let, let's not pretend that these guys were all as as purely white as someone that's golfing right now wants them to be. <laughs> right, sure. <laughs> you know? Right, absolutely. Um, I think that, you know, that's going to, there's there's going to be some stuff that we're going to have to talk about in Act 2 about, like, how we deal with the legacy of these people um, as as slaveholders and how that deals with race relations. That's that's going to be a thing. But But I do think this is a pretty decent opportunity to say, like, I really do respect how the show takes this story that has has always been in a very anglo-saxon lens and reminds us that america was not that and i i think that that's good i i think that it is good to to insert accurately right to remind us that it was a polyglot society. It was an amalgam. It was a combination of peoples, and not and not just you know. the The American Revolution was not the cast of Friends, right? You know, it's, <laughs> of course, it's more than that. All right. Well, I don't. I don't have anything else to to say on the topic. I agree with everything you said, and I have nothing else to to add to it. I, I feel like I've, I've said my. My bit about the question, which was an amazing question. I appreciate it. I thought it was an awesome question. You I know, thought it was I'd, great. You know, it's the it's it, it's the kind of shit that he and I talk about on the front porch. You know, drinking whiskey. It was cool to to have him. You know, contribute something challenging for the show as well. You know, um, it was uh, it got me excited. Got me excited to talk about it. Um, Speaking of being excited, Bradley, I have a question for you. I feel like I know what your question's going to be. You might. I mean, I'm taking... What are you What are you most excited for in Act 2? Oh, I was right. Holy smokes. It might have been in the show notes. Who knows? Um, and conversely, yeah. what are you least excited for? Wow. That also wasn't in the show notes for sure. Um, before we get off today, ladies and gentlemen, we want to do a quick little kind of ramp up. If you're still with us at almost three hours, awesome stuff. If you're still with us, we want to do a little ramp up, a little momentum into act number two, because next week intermission content is over. We are back with act two. Who knows how many songs we're talking about? I sure don't. It's in an outline somewhere, but what am I most excited and least excited for in act two? What I'm most excited to flush out. What I'm most excited to flesh out, and it's not the most important thing to flesh out, I love the whole, I just want to flesh out the rivalries. I'm just excited for some hardcore, as someone who watches uh, soccer or football a lot, um, the rivalries there is just a general sports fan, like rivalry is a thing that I just really appreciate. And seeing Jefferson and, and Madison on one team with Burr kind of moving around a little bit and Hamilton there, you know, you open, you open Act Two with Burr talking about that this rivalry is going to happen. Like pissed him off until we had a two-party system type of thing. And I just love diving deep into rivalries. It's not the most important thing going on in Act Two, but it's certainly one of the most important things. And I'm just really excited to dive into it. 
What about least? Or do you, do, do, should I do my most? Oh, and then oh, you do oh your least? sorry, sorry, sorry. I was going to do like oh, most, sorry. most, I hit my least, mic least. too. Oh, gotcha. Gonna... Most, most. Yeah. Um, also, like I totally biffed my mic there. I'm going to take that again. And then just edit this out real quick. Um, should I do my, what I'm most excited about now? And then least and least? Is that the, is that the plan? That's the plan. All right. So my most excited. And I guess I'm cheating. It's a tie between. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. All right, because it's hard to pick, right? Yeah. For me. Uh, so my most is number one. What did I miss? The, in my opinion, one of the greatest nine o'clock numbers of all time. And number two, we know, which includes, I think, one of the single greatest lines of dialogue ever written for the stage. All right, I'm excited to get into it. Yep, I'm, it's just, man, there are some, there are some heavy, like, dramatic, emotional moments in Act 2, things that are gonna get you and tear you up, but, like, the things I look forward to, it's, I'm gonna be honest, it's mostly just David Diggs. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm excited for David Diggs. For least excited... This one's tough, because to be honest, I'm excited to talk about it all. I want to talk about it all. Obviously, we wouldn't do this podcast for three hours every week if we didn't want to do that. I'm just never excited to go through Hamilton's whole Mariah Mariah Reynolds bullshit. Like, I hate it. It sucks. It's perfect for the musical. It's perfect for the characters. It adds all the tension and drama and everything. But, like, oh, just, man, it's just such a chore to get through emotionally. And... Angelica or not Angelica Eliza just deserves so much better and the whole premise of him not going to upstate New York really bothers me like everything about it just it's just gonna be me dunking on Hamilton for a lot and in a show about Hamilton like just spending song like because the songs come like back to back to back and since we're analyzing the whole musical I already know what happens and so it's like back to back to back to back like three or four songs in a row where it's not a real good look for our guy Alexander Hamilton. And getting through that is going to be emotionally difficult. That's what I'm least excited for. I'm still really excited to talk about it, but just, it's like song after song after song, and you're like, oh, Hamilton, come on. Well, I'll be here to help you through it. Yeah, that's (laughs) what I'm least excited for. I am least excited about attempting to get through the end of this show with right. a straight face. That's, you know, that's, it, it really is that. Um, I also, um, I'm also getting, getting through that without making, talking about Burr's narration at the end of this show and not being like a six hour episode. Like, God help us. Oh, did you see my tweet I, the other day about it? No, I didn't. What'd you say? Oh, I tweeted the other day. One second, I put my tweet up. This is going to be really funny because I had the exact same thought. Whereas, okay, how do I see my own tweets? I'm a technological wizard for those of you who are just watching. <laughs> um, where is it? All right, there's me freaking of the Chelsea one. Here's me posting with the last episode. I'm going to find it. I'm vamping. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, grats, man. Go, Chelsea. Yeah. Um, why? Where? Okay. Oh, my God. Where is it? I'm going to cry if I can't find it. Was. Was your idea also that us discussing that is going to take forever? Uh, yeah, I want to find the exact quote though. 
I can't find it. Where is it? Well, oh, here it is. Found the... it, found it, found it, found it. Can't wait to do this 46-hour Hamilton podcast episode about Burr's narration in The World Was Wide Enough. <laughs> was what I tweeted. Great I mean, minds think alike. There's, there's, there's a lot there, man. Especially because we both love Burr so much, you know. There's. Yeah. So I did. I was, I was watching Hamilton the other day, and I was like, ah, oh, fuck! I have to talk about this narration for like 800 years. Yeah. There's, there's so much there. There is so much to talk about in Act Two, which we somehow have to start doing next week. I'm scared. I'm scared, Bradley. I'm I'm feeling good about it. I'm yeah. I'm I'm feeling good. I'm feeling ready. I think three intermission episodes is enough. I'm ready to get back into. I'm I'm more nervous because I'm working full time now, and time is of the essence all the time. Like it's just every mm-hmm. minute of my day is just like so planned out because I'm only home for two and a half days at a time, and I have to do like adult stuff and errands and recording and podcasting and streaming and all of it. And so it's just fitting everything in is really tough. So from a from a yeah. production point of view, that's going to be harder for Act 2 than it was for Act 1. But from like a podcast point of view, the podcast has never been more popular. More people are listening to it. I'm ready for Act 2. They're ready for Act 2. I'm good to yeah, go. Yeah, from a, from a production point of view, I, it's funny. I was thinking about this earlier um, because I, I kind of like we're starting to get into a, a kind of natural thing where when we started the show, you were very much more present front up with the notes and the outlining. And then I was more reactive on the, sh- on the show. And now we've started to transition into a period where I do a little bit more of the layout and you're a little bit more reactive on the show. I wonder like, if that comes across. It's totally true. Like I didn't even have an outline for this episode today. I totally forgot to do one. And so, <laughs> and so you messaged me last night. Like, yeah, I made the outline. I was like, ah, Thank you. I totally forgot. <laughs> you know, it's just, but I think it's a natural byproduct of you being back at work. And I'm, I'm so glad you have work, by the way. Like, I'm, I'm so happy. It, the, um, just, I love hearing you talk about your job because you clearly love it so much. But it is, it is interesting how the, the show endures, but the, the dynamic changes. And I'm curious, like, starting act two with things being a different balance. Like, I wonder if, I wonder how different the episodes are going to be. I don't know. We'll see. I think they're. I think they're still going to be. You know, six hours long each of them. Right. <laughs> but, that that part won't change for sure. That part will not change. Um. But you know, however, however it goes, man, I'm still going to fucking enjoy doing this with you every week, man. I wouldn't change it for the world. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is going to be the end of this podcast. Coming in under three hours. Don't tweet us. We're coming in under three hours. We're good. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please do not forget to go and watch Hamilton Act 2 to get ready. But also, go and leave us a review. Go and like the podcast. Whatever you got to do, comment on it somewhere. Send us an email. Send us a tweet. Whatever you got to do in this next week until Act 2 hits your feeds. Um, Make sure you go and search Let's Dive Deep in your podcatcher of choice if you want to catch the first season of the Bridgerton coverage otherwise that is going to be it for us today we hope you enjoyed the podcast and we'll be back for us we'll be back with us sorry and for us and for you and for everyone next week when we start talking about the first couple of songs however we decide to break it down of act number two see everyone